0: Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast.
1: Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own
2: are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 50, Heart of a Champion.
1: Prepare to die, Ruski!
3: Oh boy! Oh, 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 oh. Tell them what we'll do! Oh, if we ever yeah. get them in the ring! We will treat them like the capitalist that they are! Ah!
1: You ain't trying to rustle my wife, are you, boy? Russell? Oh, no. As a matter of fact, we were just about to do it right here on the floor when you walked in. What? Watch your step, Pee-wee. I'd hate to have to break you in your hand. July 23rd, 1955.
3: Your name is Terry Samus, and you and your brother are professional wrestlers, a.k.a. the Battling Rooskies. Clever name, huh?
0: We got it got what a title match
3: this is great i mean it's incredible i leap in here to help get them a title Sam. shot i wham look at this i get it right Sam. away i should be Sam. leaving right Sam. ronnie cannot wrestle in that title why match not because if he does he's gonna die
4: ding ding welcome everyone to the quantum leap podcast i'm christopher d philippus
5: i'm allison pregler
4: And in lieu of Matt Dale today, we have a very special guest. Allison, are you ready for this?
5: Hell yeah. Everyone,
4: make way for the Ayatollah of the atmosphere, the Maharaji of meteorology, the wizard of the Weather Channel, the fashion faux pas, the weatherman, everyone. Welcome Albert Burge back to the Quantum Leap podcast. Yay.
2: Hey guys, it's nice to be with you again. I'm enjoying uh, what you guys are doing with the show, and uh, I'm a big fan.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope so. I think by, by the grace of Valby goes us. So. I think
2: that's how the saying
4: goes. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to hear you back.
2: Uh, it's nice to be back. I'm very excited to be part of this, and uh, thank you uh, for letting me be part of this. I'm I'm excited for this episode. It's one of my uh, childhood favorites. When I was a kid, I enjoyed it.
4: Well, yeah, let me take everyone behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, We had a hell of a time getting a recording together for this episode between Allison, Matt, and me. And then I remembered that Albie is a huge wrestling fan. So I kind of begged them, come on, because we would be remiss to not have you on this show. As witnessed by that overblown introduction, can you explain to me what I just read? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I do, because
2: I do all kinds of things, but one of my uh, hobbies, uh, let's say, was uh, I tried to be a pro wrestler, but found out I wasn't coordinated enough uh, when I went to wrestling school. Uh, in South Florida here, they have a lot of wrestling schools, and uh, I was friends with people that were pro wrestlers, so uh, they let me join. Found out that I wasn't good at it, so they let me be a referee, and uh, it turned out I was pretty good at being a referee, because all you really have to do is is uh know how the match ends make sure the right people win and not see anything that happens behind your back so i'm pretty good at that <laughs> and uh from that i became a manager a heel manager bad guy manager called the weatherman wearing the most uh, atrocious clothes polyester suits from the 1970s <laughs> carrying an umbrella threatening <laughs> to hit little kids with it as i walk out and uh cheating for my team uh which is uh, <laughs> gary thunder and eric storm together they're thunderstorm that's why oh, i'm the weatherman man. and uh no matter how much i cheated to help my team win we never really won because we were the bad
5: guys can i tell you something lb sure this gimmick sounds way better than anything in this episode <laughs> <laughs> It was a great gimmick. I love that. The weatherman. That's so Everyone good. hated me. Everyone hated me.
2: <laughs> like, because I would literally go up to kids and threaten to hit them with an umbrella. And, like, their parents <laughs> would be mad. The kids would be frightened. And, you know, everybody nowadays knows, you know, it's just a show. So, luckily, I didn't get uh, punched or knocked <laughs> out or anything by a protective parent. But uh, just instant heat. Like, the people hated me. I wore a pink belt, pink umbrella. And when a guy does that in a wrestling ring, I mean, you just, you're instantly hated. And I just enjoyed it. I don't know if you saw the clip I sent you earlier, but that was one of my favorite matches.
5: I saw a little bit of it. I saw the getup. That was good.
4: <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, but uh, that will be on the website at QuantumLeapPodcast.com for everyone to enjoy. I knew, Albie, that you did this. We had discussed it when we'd first become friends, but can you explain more about like how this whole... It's not really pro wrestling, right? It's, it's, it's amateur wrestling. Is that what was represented in this episode? Is it regional? Like, how, how is the whole thing put together? For non-wrestling fans, that's especially why I wanted you on the show, because I'm not a wrestling fan. And I don't think Allison is especially a wrestling fan. Allison, I don't want to speak for you. I mean, are you big Captain Lou Albano Die hard, or
5: (laughs) I know some stuff. I know who some people are, and I listen to uh OSW video podcasts, they're really good. But as far as like wrestling knowledge, I'm not the best. I know some stuff, like I know who Terry Funk is. So awesome! I I saw
2: you did some uh, Hulk Hogan stuff on your movie nights.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Thunder in Paradise greatest show ever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One of them, yeah. Um, it's all considered professional wrestling, basically. Uh, amateur wrestling is a real sport, and professional wrestling is entertainment, and that's why they have the, the difference in the names. So this was actually professional wrestling, and uh, no matter how amateurish it is, it's called professional. Just that's the way you tell the two things apart because I, I don't believe there's a huge crossover in the fans because like, I would not want to see like, – to me, amateur wrestling is the same as sports ball. It's it's not very entertaining. It's just a sport. When when you want to see like two guys in spandex fighting over something absolutely silly and ridiculous, um <laughs> you want to see pro wrestling. So
4: yeah, that's the difference there. Okay. Well, here's the funny thing. Like you <laughs> You brought up the silly and ridiculous angle, and it was one of the hardest times that I was having with this episode until I stepped back and realized that it's a freaking wrestling episode of course they're going to amp up the silly and ridiculous factor <laughs> and i had to put my my quantum leap snob away for mm. an hour and watch it like i'm sure you watched it because uh, it must have been something of a thrill to see something you love so much celebrated and reflected in something you love so much
2: it was and it's a real fun episode it's it's not uh, definitely not a dramatic episode it's just for fun and of course Tommy Thompson wrote it and he's one of my favorite quantum leap writers uh along with Deborah Pratt and um I talked to him a little bit about this episode and um for not being a wrestling fan he got a lot of it right uh really the only thing that he got wrong was the whole um when it's a championship match (laughs) it's for real (laughs) but but Without that, there wouldn't really be an episode or any um, suspense towards the end of the episode. So he had to put that in. That was kind of like a cheat. But uh, back then when this episode aired, there was a lot of people because there's two different kinds of wrestling fans. They're called marks or smart marks, really. And uh, the difference is uh, one thinks it's real and the other one knows it's entertainment. And uh, back then there was more people that thought it was real than – realized it was entertainment, even though it was, you know, clowns fighting uh,
5: garbage men at the time. (laughs) Well, they didn't know about kayfabe. No. You know, kayfabe being like you, the wrestling persona, the storyline, you know, you don't break Mm -hmm. kayfabe
2: never back then it was it was you would be kicked out of the business if you didn't stay in character anytime you were in public
5: which is weird because this episode plays it both ways Mm -hmm. like it acts like it's real and then not and then the whole like the the thing is staged except for the last part which is not staged and so it was a weird time for that anyway because it was it wasn't that kind of around the time people were realizing in more popular culture that it was not real yeah, that was the time where
2: I think uh, the big moment was when Hulk Hogan went on The Tonight Show and said, it's entertainment. That was like the first coming out of pro wrestling, kind of. Before that, you know, if uh, somebody used the F word uh, being fake, which pro wrestlers still don't like that word because it's, you know, hard work and they get injured and uh, they do a lot. You know, it's just not a real competition. It's a real entertainment show. Mm-hmm. Um but when uh, Hulk Hogan came out and said that, then everybody kind of went along with it. And it took uh, quite a bit of time. But once the World Wrestling Federation changed to World Wrestling Entertainment, like the cat was out of the bag. And I, I think it's better that way because I, 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 I've still met some people that think it's real. Like I've been followed to my car before by people who hated me. And uh, it, those kind of people, like I feel kind of bad for them. Because usually they're, like, as these, the two guys in the bar were depicted in this episode, yeah. uh, they're that type of person. And uh, when you're in a situation like that, which is kind of scary, you don't really know what to do, and you just kind of try to explain to them what you just saw was a show, and I'm not actually the weatherman. I, I, I had a podcast for a living. Would <laughs> you listen to this guy? <laughs> Next thing he's going to be telling us is that wrestling ain't real.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask. Uh, I mean, let's go back to, to, was this like a regional thing? Did you travel to different arenas all over the place to like put on this show? Was there a through line, a storyline like you see with the WWE and now whatever other wrestling franchises are out there? There are quite a few. How, how did all of that work?
2: Yes and no. I traveled all around Florida which was really fun. Uh usually it's like five, six guys in a, you know, minivan and you travel to wherever you go because at best you're getting paid 50 bucks for the night and it costs you more to get there and get back than you make. But you do it for, you know, like a hobby, like the what you the love of it. And there's always a chance that, you know, a small percentage actually make money eventually. But um you, yeah, uh, if you travel together you save money and you might be able to afford uh, drive through food on the way back kind of thing. And uh, there are local regional uh, wrestling federations, which are just groups of people that one of them owns the ring, a couple of them own some belts. And uh, when you go into their territory, um, I don't know if either of you seen the wrestler, but that's like the most accurate depiction of uh, the pro wrestling business. But you, you basically have to be there three hours ahead of time. You sit down and whoever's paying you, who's ever at the end of the night going to give you that envelope with either $10 or $50, depending on how many people showed up. Um, they let you know what the what the show is and you just uh, basically do what they tell you.
4: Wow. I mean, that's just, it's it's a world unto itself that I had no idea about. When you told me that you did this stuff, I thought you did it on the weekends as like a lark. I didn't know it was an organized going all over the place and putting on various storylines like how did you guys decide was it you say it was the guy that was in charge of giving you the money Mm -hmm. but i mean you you traveled with these guys you worked with the same guys did you have patter and stuff all worked out or oh sure
2: like uh, my tag team was thunderstorm so um, i did weather forecasts so i would be like whoever our opponent was i would go in bad talk them uh, make the crowd hate me. And I just really got into it. For some reason, when I'm in front of a crowd, I'm not shy. Like one on one with people, I can be shy when I first meet them. But, y- you know, when I'm, uh, I think the biggest crowd I've ever been in front of was 4,000 people at a Miami wow. like comic book convention. And we filled up the great hall and everything. And that's uh, great. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And I get to work with uh, the older guys that were. V- popular in the 80s and 90s that are on their way down and I get to work with the younger guys that are on their way up and uh yeah I just the, my main goal was to make people hate me and it worked easily I, ha- I just have that kind of uh, aura around me where people dislike
6: me <laughs>
5: <laughs> that's Jimmy Hart aura if you will
2: exactly that's what I was <laughs> going for Jimmy Hart um maybe some Bobby the Brain Heenan in there I just tried to do my best
5: I think with the umbrella, I get like Doink the Clown vibes with the, with the children thing. I've, I've
2: hit several people with my umbrella, and it's usually my own team. Then that's how we lose the matches.
5: Oh, boy.
4: I'm so glad you guys are on this because I have no idea what you just said. Any of it. But, <laughs> but Alvy, can you, can you do something in character for us?
2: here tonight representing Gary Thunder and Eric Storm. Together they are Thunderstorm. (laughs) Tonight they will be victorious and win the championship belts from these two Bojos, these Zip Heads. They don't know what's going on. My guys know what's going on. We're the best in the country. You're going to hear from us from now on. These are top guys. Thunderstorm, I forecast pain, suffering, and defeat. You're going down. (laughs) and by the end of that you couldn't really hear what i was saying because the crowd would just literally be booing so much and so the whole point of the match was basically they did a good match they were great wrestlers and i worked with a lot of great guys but the whole point was at the beginning i would make them hate me and by the end of the match i would get beat up and everybody would love it so you know it's fun it was really fun
4: Well, with all of that in mind, I mean, that puts it into so much more of a context for me. I mean, I gave my initial impressions of the episode, but um, Allison, I don't think we've heard from you about uh, your feelings about Heart of a Champion. If you just want to give uh, a little bit of a brush.
5: Um, Well, (laughs) every time that we've been on on the show, I've been like, I don't know, I like it. Um, (laughs) That's usually my
4: line um, Uh, That's when I know Albie hates something Oh
5: yeah, I like it, sure uh, If you looked up filler episode in the dictionary (laughs) Mm. You'd find a screen grab from Heart of a Champion Um, It's one of my least favorites I think the saving grace is Terry Funk And Mm. if he wasn't in it, i just... (laughs)
4: See, now really That's my thoughts <laughs> Alright, and Terry Funk was uh, What turned me off From the episode to begin with Like I was saying, because he just came in And he was such a clown And if such a cartoon If it
5: ain't the leapin' little poster reader, <laughs> <laughs> Well, look here
1: If it ain't the leaping little poster reader. How's it going, boy?
5: You know? And it was
4: just like, I was literally just sitting there saying, what the fuck is this? What am I watching? How how is this? How does this come into, you know, translate as dialogue? And then I said, oh, wait a minute. It's wrestling. Duh. Mm-hmm. So, Albie, when you first saw this, I know you said you were a kid. Can you set that scene a little bit? Like, what were you uh, doing and where were you when you saw this episode?
2: I was a kid in my footsie pajamas or a teenager, don't remember, uh, in New Jersey watching this episode. And I, I knew t- who Terry Funk was. So for me, it was like the great Spontini where like I loved magic and I loved Quantum Leap. So the two together made the episode for me. So that that's I was a, just a giddy little kid. And, and seeing Terry Funk in it, it gave it some legitimacy for me. So I, I felt like it was more real. And who doesn't love seeing Scott Bakula get thrown around a wrestling ring for five <laughs> minutes? Because... I, I didn't see
5: I didn't see Diamond there at all. Did you? It looked like Scott. It seemed like it was him doing a lot of it, which seemed like more than normal uh doing stunts and especially because a lot of it's in slow motion so that leaves very little forgiveness for, you know, stunt doubles. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought he took it like a champ.
2: Terry Funk's uh one of the best in the business uh technically and uh, and, and I think uh Scott really Felt safe with Terry Funk. So I think, uh, I don't think Terry would have hurt him.
5: You have to feel safe with your partner mm-hmm. in the ring um, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're, you're just going to fuck someone up. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess you have to that. But I mean, really, that's why it would be ridiculous if if kayfabe wasn't a thing. Like, if you really hated someone, you could really mess them up. And in, in reality, wrestlers have to be able to trust each other, right? And they have to be professional because even if they do hate each other, which does happen.
2: I mean, you know, mm-hmm. people people uh, have big personalities, and sometimes they don't get along. Hulk Hogan. Keep- <laughs> <laughs> but the people that hate each other uh, literally their business is pro wrestling so they have to be professional when they work with each other so yeah
4: and you know speaking of being professional i know that matt isn't here to record with us today but i did invite him when he had a chance to record his initial impressions of this episode and we'll be slotting some of his observations in as we go so matt tell us what you thought about this episode
6: I remember a few episodes back, um, I said quite confidently that we were coming up to a really good, solid run of uninterrupted classics, and at least one of the co-hosts disputed that with me, maybe both of them. Um, I'm still going to kind of stand by what I said. Um, Quantum Leap is one of those shows that's so brilliant because it can be a bit of everything, and one of the things it is sometimes is just a little bit silly um sure if we write off all the silly episodes um then this is a low point during the the latter half of the season but um if we erase it for what it is a bit of fun um between some uh some pretty heavy episodes we've got a couple of really heavy ones coming up we've certainly come off um a heavy one um Heart of a Champion is a lot of fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It has a, a silly subject matter, and uh, it's, it's not ashamed of that. So, no, I've always quite enjoyed this episode. It just it does stick out uh, a little bit in the middle of a run of, of quite, quite serious ones.
5: I thought it was the best episode ever. I loved Heart <laughs> of a Champion. It's my favourite. And this is a very good accent.
4: <laughs> Let's all pretend that we enjoyed what Matt just said. we don't have no idea what he just said. <laughs> awesome, Matt. That
2: was great, Matt. I, I miss Matt. I, I'm so sad that he's not here when I'm here because uh, I love you three together. You're, you're just the perfect
5: uh, trifecta.
4: Aw. Well, thank you, Albie. But can someone explain to me what K-fabe means? What is that short for?
5: I I explained it a little bit earlier. Yeah, but, but I mean, maybe, but why? I
4: I but I I don't understand what what is. I understand what it means, but I don't understand like the. Is it like an abbreviation for something or? I got no idea, Albie.
2: <laughs> I really don't. I just it's the word that we use saying uh, stay in character.
4: Gotcha. I thought it was just like short for something, you know. It okay. might be. Uh, if you want to Google, I don't know. No, nah, that's okay. I'll leave it up to someone to respond to us, uh, listeners. Let let us know what K K Fabe or K fave means. Don't Google it. <laughs> I'm googling <laughs> it. <laughs> Who's googling?
2: I, I it's K Fabe. Yeah, with a B, I think. Okay, so someone Allison, tells us you what K Fabe
4: me. means. And can someone tell me in the grand scheme of wrestling who the hell Terry Funk is? I've never seen him outside of this episode. He is
2: one of the um, probably most famous like hardcore wrestlers which uh hardcore wrestling is the same as professional wrestling but guys actually get hurt a lot because they do more outrageous um things and he did some of
5: the craziest stunts
2: yeah him and uh mankind or uh Mick Foley, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. Of course, he's a Long Islander, I've met him. Oh, that's awesome. They cool. both uh, went up and down the country and around the world doing hardcore matches. And um, they would do things like, you know, barbed wire matches where the cables that were wrapped in tape, the ring ropes, uh, were replaced with real barbed wire, they they land on thumbtacks, um, they hit each other with two by fours wrapped in barbed wire, lit on fire. So they're going wow. out there and getting hurt. Hopefully not injured, which is the the difference. Uh, You don't want an injury, so you don't want to be out for a long time. But these guys beat up their, their bodies. Like he's one of the most broken bodied people in professional wrestling, but he still does it here and there. And he's his thing is he's retired from wrestling the most times of anybody, and then he'll. Uh, come out of retirement for something special
5: him and Mick Foley are both kind of like messed up now because of like how hard they would take all these falls and uh absolutely so I know some stuff about them because of stuff like that like uh the hell in the cell match which they weren't against each other but that's one of the more right yeah
2: that that's one of the most famous uh things that uh Mick Foley did getting thrown off a 25 foot cage uh onto a table by the undertaker and uh i think it's almost 20 years ago now and uh they show that clip a lot cuz uh his, his his
5: tooth was going through mm-hmm. his nose.
2: <laughs> he fell so hard. His
5: bottom tooth came out through his nostril, yeah.
1: <sighs> aye, aye, aye. And uh
5: Terry Funk was there um buying some time for him because he wasn't supposed to be he wasn't supposed to fall from that high. Mm-hmm. So he had to, like, basically kill some time while they were checking on Mick Foley.
2: Yeah, and
5: uh, it was a great match, but
2: I don't – that's not the kind of thing I'm into. I don't want guys to get hurt. I just want to enjoy a good show, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well – Speaking of enjoying the show, segueing back to the show we're actually talking about. Uh, I know yeah. this sounds like a wrestling podcast, and you guys, it's actually much <laughs> more, you're making it much more entertaining than it has any right to be, in my opinion. Well, but.
5: Albie's got most of the knowledge here, yeah,
4: so. Speaking of, there is a new wrestling podcast on the Barren Space
2: Network. Ah. It's called Month of Mondays, so baronspace.com slash mom pod, I think?
5: <laughs> you think? We'll get that for you for sure, and we'll let everybody know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's so much going on.
5: I wanted to talk a little bit more about why I think uh, Terry Funk was the saving grace of this episode. It, the reason that, that I liked him in it was the reason that you didn't, Chris, in that um, I, I think in Quantum Leap normally it's it's obviously over the top what he's doing, but for a wrestling episode, I feel they needed to go more over the top with it and crazy because that's what's fun about wrestling. Um, And especially old-school wrestling, like, you know, what was going on in the 80s and 90s. And uh, some of the best parts of it were just Terry Funk, like, smashing a locker over his head and smooshing his face into a window and growling like a dog. And so much so, like, they're shaking the camera as if the very Earth is moving because of, of him. And that stuff was so funny to juxtapose Sam reacting to all of this, these crazy wrestlers and this guy trying to kill him it's so funny to me
4: well that and it's funny because like i said it took me two scenes to realize it it was when he pressed his face up against that glass (laughs) i said okay Mm -hmm. they're going for camp here because when Mm -hmm. he ripped the door off the hinges and broke the locker (laughs) over his head i was just like i i was just too taken out of the the episode to give it any kind of credence i was i was literally like i said before what what is this and then he, you know, then he he throws Scott into the locker. He throws Sam into the locker. And, I mean, he sticks – how deep is that locker? <laughs> <laughs> it's Scott Bakula in it. And then Terry Funk sticks his, almost his entire body in it after him. And it was just like, this is just crazy. It's just nuts. And I think the other thing that distracted me – um, Because right before that scene where Terry Funk comes in, and right before he smashes his face against the glass, we see his wife, uh, Sherry Shiloh, played by Deborah Wakeham, come and basically, I don't want to say assault Sam, but it's just like, it's a character we've seen on Quantum Leap before, that oversexed vamp Mm -hmm. that just won't take no for an answer. And Sam is having a hell of a time disentangling himself from her. I think we saw the same thing in the Americanization of Machiko.
5: Oh yeah, that's. She was even wearing the same outfit. I (laughs) bet you not. It was the same costume. I looked it up. It 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 was was really the same costume. The same
4: exact costume. I thought it was the same actress.
5: Yeah, it was the same (laughs) character. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
4: And that always takes me out of it because what are really the odds that Scott wouldn't be able to, you know, keep her hands off of him? He could probably just stiff arm her away and say, "Please get the (laughs) fuck out of my trailer."
5: Is Sam Beckett gonna do that?
4: If he's that uncomfortable with being attacked and he knows that this husband might rip his head off, I think he might. So that again, I was thinking too logically, though. I was thinking like a human being, not like a professional wrestling uh, show. When, so. when
2: I watched that scene, I wasn't in the ice cube. I wasn't thinking about kicking her out of the trailer. <laughs> what did you think, Allison, about uh, that character? Was that – because it's written by a man, obviously, and uh, for mostly men. But what did you think? Was that like a real – was that character real
5: to you? Was it realistic? No. Yeah, <laughs> but, no. But I mean, it's, it's the thing is, it's it's a character that we've seen on the show before several times, and it just wasn't anything new to the table with it. That was my problem with it. It just wasn't that interesting to me. Um, but I mean, like Sam's reactions to it were funny. Just like the reactions to the wrestling was funny. It just was a, a bit uninspired. Hmm. All right. And one thing that
4: I kind of thought was maybe a little bit of a saving grace was the fact that Al comes in and says, oh, yeah, no, she does this for kicks. She likes to see this guy dismember other guys in her defense or whatever in, in jealousy.
5: That is sort of a wrestling storyline, though, isn't it? They do a lot of is stuff it? like that. Oh, yeah. but
4: And then once I thought that they maybe redeemed it because this is just the shtick that she does on purpose – to evoke a reaction from Terry Funk's character. But then Al said something like, yeah, he's left a trail of broken necks from Cincinnati to Maine. Well, then how is he walking around? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if you can literally prove that he's he's torn apart a lot of guys and like physically assaulted multiple people. (laughs) Again, it just, it it doesn't work for me that he would still be, unless, you know, he's on the run. I don't know.
2: (laughs) I would think it's just because it was a different time. 1955, I think, men were less likely to report a physical violence or being attacked. They would just take their uh, lickings and keep on going.
5: I think that's part of why the episode falls flat to me, in that you never really feel any sort of danger or or personal connection there. Um, I don't feel like Sam's ever really in danger, and it feels kind of tacked on when they're like, oh, there's these odds that you're going to get killed in the ring. Like, it doesn't... What does Sam do to change that? That, like, Terry Funk is not going to, like, murder him in this ring? It it just... I don't know. There's not that connection there that makes me feel like, okay, this is a story about Sam. And I think you're absolutely right. That was
4: one of the most glaring inconsistencies for this episode to me. Because you had the whole thing where they're trying to spin the family plot with the big brother, Ronnie. And, like you said, Allison, all this B stuff with Terry Funk was so outrageous, but it was also so obviously tacked on as a B plot. It didn't really have anything to do with the A plot in any way. Uh, Shiloh didn't interact with Ronnie at all. Nobody interacted with anybody. Sam was the only connective tissue between those two stories. And I, I don't know. I'm, again, I get it was, they were, they were doing it for laughs, but had they integrated it a little bit more or had Shiloh be a threat to both the brothers It just might have done something to make this a more cohesive episode. And it's no swipe against Tommy. I understand what he was going for now, and I think he pulled it off. But I still think the episode could have gelled a little bit better.
2: I agree. The ending was just an ending. It was like Tommy wrote a fun episode, and then he was like, "Uh, okay, then what?
5: Yeah. He had to figure something Mm. out. And it kind of just got shoehorned in there at the end. Because he's one of the best comedic dramatic writers they have like he's very good at balancing like outrageous situations with real drama and i feel like this episode it just didn't work out for him
4: yeah well you know and you, you can't knock it out of the park every time but he did fall back on a lot of the themes that he's always used and he even said it in his interview you know i'm always writing about my dad And in this, it's I I think the only themes that I could come up with that they were trying to tackle were ideas of family and loyalty and obligation to Mm -hmm. family. And that's where the episode tried to become at least somewhat real. And the scene that I enjoyed most was when Ronnie was sitting at the table with his wife and son, Mm -hmm. and you could see the tension there between them. That, to me came as close to feeling empathy for any of the guest cast that I ever came to. Because, okay, they put it in sort of a real setting and gave this guy's death some stakes. I think it was odd, though, that they made this be on the heels of both the father and the older brother dying. It doesn't seem like it was all that long ago. Hmm. Yet everybody seems fine and Ronnie seems okay with the idea that, oh, no, I'm in denial. Like, I'm not going to die. Well, two people that you love the most in the world just dropped dead. Uh, Anyway, within the context of this episode, that's what it seemed like. Did you pick up on that? I think the reason I thought that was because they said Sam's character, um, the Leapy, had only been wrestling part of the act for a month. That
5: seemed very um reminiscent of leaping in without a net too, didn't it? The fact that they had the the mother died in the in the mm. when they mm-hmm. were doing a performance and then like they have the son stepping in who thinks that he you know was at fault and then the the dad and I don't know seemed very similar. <laughs> I definitely think the whole cast did really good
2: at portraying um that Storyline of them losing their father and their brother, and uh, Angela Patton's character, uh, the two brothers' um, mother that was the manager Lottie. Lottie, I really enjoyed uh, her character because I think, like you mentioned, their deaths were so recent that everybody was in a uh, state of denial, and we're just gonna forge ahead and keep going and do the best we can without them and also they had that uh it had like a feeling of like this was the first time that uh lottie was without her husband and that the boys were with were without their dad and they just seemed like they were just trying to do their best and keep going no matter what and uh when ronnie was going ahead with that even though he knew he felt sick and he didn't realize he was going to die but he knew something was wrong but in those times when something like that happens to a family, I mean, we've all been through loss, and uh, when it's a father figure, especially, I'm thinking, you say you say to yourself, this is the time where I have to step up and be the man. I have to set a good example. I have to take care of my family. I have to take care of my mother. So, of course, he would go on with the match and try his best to keep going, even if Scott's – or even if his brother's telling him he's going to die in the ring it's one of those things where you feel you don't have a choice. You have to take care of your wife, your mom, your kid, and everybody else. Mm. And I felt they did a really good job at portraying that for uh, such a campy episode. So that's another uh, thing that I really liked about Tommy Thompson's writing in this episode.
5: I feel like that, like the scene where they're eating dinner together, that was the strongest one for that. Um, through most of it... They seemed so not present. I actually enjoyed
2: uh, Lottie in the scene where she realizes her son really could die because of the rheumatic fever as a child. And she actually, at that point, stops charging ahead and says, you know, I've lost uh, a husband and a son. I'm not going to lose you, too. And I I felt for her character, that was her best scene.
5: This is a stock plot I've seen in a lot of shows. The whole, like... Someone wants to do sport thing, but health. And the thing is, when the danger is heart defect, it's not a terribly exciting plot element for me. Like, I, I don't, I can't think of anything that's done this that has made it that interesting to me. Um, so I, I just found it was just very slow and, and not personal and, it, not that interesting to even look at really like um i didn't think the wrestling was that over the top which i guess kind of fit in with what they were doing uh in the 50s um but you know i'm used to kind of like the 80s 90s bright colors mm-hmm. over the top craziness and then and then you got this and the, where the wrestling appears to just be a a warehouse with a crappy tiny banner on the front With, uh, I think, the (laughs) same audience both times. I think they just kept cutting to the same people. And, like, I don't know. It just didn't gel with me and give me a lot to, like, be invested. See, for me, seeing the independent wrestling circuit, that's more
2: accurate to me. So I think they got that right. Because you're going to wrestle in VFWs and high school gymnasiums, in warehouses. And sometimes 15 people show up. So. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been at shows with uh, more wrestlers on the card than people in the audience.
4: But what about the television aspect of this? Was televised local wrestling a big thing in local markets back then?
2: That I don't know of. I know I've seen a lot of it, and usually the old 50s wrestling was the big event. you know, Gorgeous George and stuff like that, and they filled Madison Square Garden kind of things.
4: Yeah, well, I'm just trying to think, like, to the history of broadcasting where you had local affiliates largely responsible for their own programming outside of primetime television. So it was probably something that was recorded, not recorded, but broadcast locally at some point.
2: Yeah, in the 50s, I don't know about. I know in the 70s, remember the Andy Kaufman things? That was local to uh, Memphis, Tennessee uh, with Jerry Lawler. And uh, they did a lot of local stuff back then that became... Uh, in the '80s, when Vince McMahon started buying all the companies up, that's when it became national and international.
5: Yeah, that was that was infamous the Andy Kaufman thing. Mm-hmm.
4: Oh God, Andy Kaufman! Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <guy>. Anyway, um.
5: <laughs>
2: I don't know. Man in the Moon is a good movie.
4: This is sort of I we we'll agree to disagree on that. Um, <laughs> so I guess this is almost like the wrestling equivalent of Mo Stein's Show, in the sense that. It's just probably a regional show that only a select part of the country is seeing.
2: Yeah, exactly. It definitely, um, but uh, speaking of someone wants to do sport thing, but health, (laughs) these guys are really like that though. Uh, I actually uh, was at a show where a guy had a heart condition, didn't tell any of the producers, didn't tell any of the show organizers or the other workers, the wrestlers, and he actually uh, just collapsed in the ring and died. That's so sad. What? what? Uh, wow. This was uh, August 2011. It was in uh, my hometown, Cape Coral. Uh, I wasn't the referee in, in charge of the match. It was a friend of mine, and he was an 18-year-old kid. And um, uh, the guy who uh, passed away was uh, named Brian Skullcrusher Strickland. And uh, there was a pretty good crowd. There was about probably 150 people in a parking lot of a bar, and uh, it was a local pro wrestling organization. And, um, he came out, uh, the match was probably about one minute in and they were doing the thing where they circle around the ring, like they're about to attack each other. And, uh, the guy just fell down and, um, you know, come to find out later after he died that he was told by his doctor not to do it, but no. he didn't listen. And, uh, the, there was a, somebody there that was an EMT and worked on him for half hour CPR before the. The ambulance got there but um he did not ever regain consciousness and uh it was one of those things where everybody knows it's a show so many many people were very confused as to what was going on like they're like this is a weird story and Gosh. you know uh mm. they thought they were doing some kind of uh, heart attack angle or something uh. until the referee uh, luckily, said somebody call 911 because nobody was listening to him God. because people thought it was part of the show. So right. um, it does happen, and these guys do go on, even though it's not really a sport, it's athleticism. Sure, uh, These guys do go on, like in the movie The Wrestler, when uh, they shouldn't be wrestling, they shouldn't be doing this, but they, the for the love of it or for whatever reason, uh, they... Put themselves in unsafe situations, and it
5: does happen R- wrestlers put their bodies and their lives on the line. um so many wrestlers die young because of that, so I mean that's that's tragic, yeah, and that's really sad, yeah, you know like that's- you have to be able to listen to to doctors when they tell you this you know- mm-hmm. injury is uh one of the reasons I got out of pro
2: wrestling. There was a spot in a match where uh this huge muscle guy i mean huge. Three hundred pounds, pure muscle. He picked me up and ragdolled me, just basically threw me around and uh, slammed me into the mat. And uh, instead of landing with his weight on his knees and his other arm, his he landed with his weight on his hand on my sternum, and he cracked my sternum. Oh gosh, oh, Jesus! And uh, at that point, I heard that crack, and I didn't know if it was my neck or what. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get up. I was, you know, I had the wind knocked out of me, and for those. 10 seconds that seemed like forever, I was thinking I have a baby girl, Serenity. And what if it's my neck? How am I going to support her? So after that, I got out of the business.
5: Wow. Well, I'm glad it wasn't worse than that, you know? Yeah, me
4: too. Yeah. And when when did that guy realize what he was doing or was he just like a giant dick?
5: It was totally accidental.
2: Uh, he apologized. You know, I did the whole thing like, no, I'm okay. No problem. But for like three months, I walked around in pain. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think it was his fault. And that kind of stuff just happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, it I just I've been very lucky because a lot of people aren't so lucky. So I just saw that as a wake up call and uh, that uh, my daughter was more important to me than going out and having fun on the weekend.
1: Well, you know,
5: maybe sometimes things like that are signs, you know, maybe that was, Mm. you know, for the best.
4: Well, I mean, since you're, you're sort of tempering the glamour (laughs) with, with reality. I think one of, no, but one of the, one of the best characters in this episode, if not to me the best, was Don Hood as Lamar. We've seen this before in Quantum Leap where they sort of subvert your expectations of what the character usually is on TV. I mentioned this in Southern Comforts with the character of, I think it was Angela or Andrea, but she was basically the madam in, in the Whorehouse. And I thought that she was going to be the heavy, you know, threatening um, the the whoever the girl was to sleep with the Johns or she was going to get kicked out. But no, it turned out that they were related and they had more of a supportive relationship. In this one, you would expect, because especially since it's so cartoonish in many ways, that Lamar would just be the ruthless promoter. And we really need you to get in that ring, and boy, you better not let me down. But no, you know what? He, he actually listened to Sam, and he was like, I got a lot riding on this. We need to do something. And yeah, the, the exam that he gave him was perfunctory, <laughs> but it was sort of a nice sea of character in what I thought was a lot of two-dimensional storytelling. So... I, I really enjoyed his performance in this. And he's, like Allison always says, he's one of those guys. Oh, that guy. You know, I don't know what I've seen him in, but I've seen him in everything. Sure.
2: He did really good. It, uh, his character was spot on. That's that's exactly what a uh, wrestling promoter looks and acts like. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tommy Thompson, for not knowing that much about pro wrestling, uh, hit the nail on the head so many times with this.
5: Maybe because he wasn't uh, a wrestling fan, it helps him to avoid some of the wrestling story cliches that you find. Hmm. Like, it, it, he was thinking about writing a promoter like a person, you know, like, okay, you got a business here, but also you need to make sure that the people wrestling are in good health and that you're not going to get someone hurt, uh, rather than, you know, the cartoonish kayfabe persona of just, you know, like, ah, money, get in the ring, whatever, heal, you know. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that helped a little bit
4: yeah yeah i guess and for for someone like me who has just about zero knowledge of wrestling i think we watched it for about six months sometime in the 80s when hulk hogan was huge and then i just stopped watching it as quickly um because it was always samey samey it was always the same moves the same storylines the same this then mean gene would come on and ask (laughs) questions and vince mcmahon would be standing next to him and somebody would yell at him and (laughs) That's, to me, that's, that's wrestling It's just a lot of flash and yelling and nonsense And then they just repeat and repeat
2: It's the same thing over and over again For at least the 40 years I've been watching Right, so
5: this- <laughs> I just keep thinking about that promo with Hulk Hogan where, From the 80s Where he's talking about putting the Trump family on his back During a tsunami and backstroking <laughs> to safety <laughs> Hey,
2: I was listening on the edge of my seat,
5: high off of his his mind on Coke.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was good times, though. (laughs) It's a hilarious promo.
4: I don't even know what you're talking about, but we'll play it right here.
3: As my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pin them, so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs on to the top of the Trump plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a hawk maniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs run out of gas, just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll dog paddle us, backstroke all of us to safety. Oh,
1: and thank you, Hulk Hogan. Let's get back to action.
5: And that's why Hulk Hogan's a star. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to bring up Terry Funk again, okay? Because he was on another Donald Belisario Deborah Pratt show called Tequila and Bonetti. Uh, where it has ah. the, the talking dog detective show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that lasted uh-huh. a, a whopping 12 episodes. Terry Funk is not a guest star, he is a main character on that show. And let me tell you, he is the worst actor in the world. (laughs) He is terrible. But I'll tell you this. I looked forward to every time he was on screen because he was so fun to watch. And he was a lot better in this episode because he was basically just doing a bunch of promos. You know, every time he was talking, he's just like, I'm going to get you. (laughs) Leaping little poster eater. You know. <laughs> now I
2: definitely have to watch Tequila. Oh, Tequila and
5: Bennett. Oh, it's so funny. He's a cop on there and I, I distinctly remember like his his character is just he's really stupid. And uh <laughs> yeah, I remember he was asking someone like if Robocop was real, he was like, Do you know Robocop? <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. That show was amazing. It was too good for this world. I have time now, so I think I'll check it oh, out. Oh, you should.
4: Maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. Well,
5: no, you're a Terry Funk
0: fan. I, I'll,
5: also, I got to bring this up, and I think Albie can confirm this. Um, sleeper hold, crowd pleaser.
2: Not usually. It's called a rest <laughs> spot because when you're out of, you know, when you've been running around and you're out of breath, you need to put a hold on somebody to catch your breath, and so the other guy can catch his breath. So that's like a two minute break in the middle of a match,
5: and that's the climax of this episode.
2: My guess is that Terry Funk wasn't only the guest star that was the wrestler. He was probably like the technical advisor. And um, he had to put 1950s wrestling moves into the show. And wrestling back then, if you watch the old black and white stuff, it was very boring, very slow, and there was very little things. And I remember in the early 80s that the sleeper hold was a finishing move. Really? Uh, I want to say Adrian Adonis uh, was very famous for uh, just putting people out with the sleeper hold. A few other people. But um, for me, I got a little giddy seeing Terry Funk in the sleeper hold because he did the perfect, uh, you know, trying to keep your arms up so you wouldn't pass out and trying to get oh, out. Oh, is that
4: why he was doing that? Yeah. I, think I was wondering why <laughs> he kept flow. pointing at the sky. Blood
2: flow. He was trying <laughs> to keep I mean, blood flow. It looked so ridiculous. But he, does, he takes the sleeper hold better than anybody else. I think and seeing that in the episode that might be why he suggested it just because um, it's so um, big because you know how you have to act bigger on a smaller screen to be seen. I think that that move of the sleeper hold actually worked for the time the wrestling was set in and for uh, Terry Funk's ability to sell the sleeper hold.
5: Yeah, but you don't actually knock someone out in a sleeper hold, right? Or you're not supposed no, to? No, because
4: then you would be killing them or something. Yeah, or, but
5: or, Sam or, is yeah, really doing this You can cut off someone's airflow
4: like, until, until they pass yeah, out. But yeah, but like Which, he was... I mean, just like you can hold your breath till you pass out. He was legit out. Right.
5: out, like, because they're like dragging yeah. him into the locker room. Like, how long was he passed out? I would be very concerned about it. Well, you got to remember, in this universe of pro wrestling,
2: that match was real. Real because it was for the championship. So, but in real life, uh, you wouldn't hold a uh, sleeper hold on anybody harder than you would just like holding their hand.
5: Yeah. I would think that you're not really like, they're just pretending to pass out because yeah, you would, you wouldn't want to injure them. Right. Nobody really passes
2: out from that. Then, then the guy who, uh, made the other person pass out wouldn't be able to work again because word would get around. So, but I just, I loved it.
5: Wasn't that what, what Hulk Hogan did to, like, one of those talk show hosts one time? What was his name? It was, like, he was one of those guys that was, like, on Law & Order later, I want to say.
2: Yeah, that guy. Uh, that's how important he is in history of the world. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I remember that whole situation. But it was that was before he had come out and said entertainment, and they were still in the kayfabe thing. And he insisted on Hulk Hogan putting a move on him or doing a move on him when he said, no, I don't want to hurt you. And um, so he kept on it.
5: He was trying to, he, he kept saying it was fake and Hulk Hogan was right. not breaking because that you didn't
2: do that back then. And back then, part of kayfabe is if somebody said wrestling was fake, you beat them up. And that was the thing.
4: Yeah, I saw that when I was in journalism school. John Stossel asked one of the pro oh, wrestlers yeah. if it was fake. And the guy literally picked him up by the neck and wrenched his head and says, does that look fake to you?
3: I'll ask you the standard question. standard question. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's
1: that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap. Huh? You think it's fake?
4: We had to watch that in journalism school as because there was litigation and it was it was something in our industry that became sort of a landmark.
2: That was kayfabe, because, you know, at the time, the thought was, if the word gets out that this is fake, there goes our livelihood.
4: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's something else, boy.
2: I remember seeing that. That was scary.
5: Yeah, I mean, it sure sure didn't look fake to me. (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you this, Albie. If you're watching a tag team match, and neither of the guys tag in their partner— like, do you feel <laughs> ripped off? Because I feel like maybe this is a weird match. Because, like, Terry Funk's partner in this has no lines, does nothing. And, I, you know, Sam obviously doesn't tag in the, his partner. Well, absolutely. Uh,
2: well, uh, Terry Funk's partner looked like he was a background actor because he did have no lines, right? So they're cheaper. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And um, here's a secret about tag team wrestling. Every single tag team wrestling match I've ever seen or been in, there's a thing called a hot tag. Whoever is the baby faces, the good guys, mm-hmm. uh, they pick one of them to do 80% of the work and get beat up for most of the match. Because the, the good guys getting beat up 80% of the time, most of the match, the big pop when the fans go crazy is when the hot tag happens, which is when finally the good guy can tag his partner in, and then the fresh good guy on the outside comes in, cleans house, beats up both guys, and wins the match. Oh.
5: Every single
2: tag team match ever,
5: that's basically how it goes. So uh, it's normal, but the... Well, you would in, find in- it weird if, like, the other guy was never tagged in, though, right? On both sides. Like, it would, there was never any wrestling from either of the tag team partners. I've, I've never seen that happen. And that's uh, one of the things that uh,
2: tag team guys like is they're, they're both out there, so they have to work half as much, you know?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And it's funny when, when you guys brought up the sleeper hold before is obviously it's a fake move for professional wrestling, but it was also a great narrative out for Sam who is not a wrestler mm. to present this as a real hold that anybody could do on anybody as long as they could hold on long enough and i guess they needed something because he used his roundhouse kick in the first act
5: yeah why didn't he just do that again cuz apparently he didn't get like <laughs> you know disqualified for that i don't think you can I think that's out of regulation. You can't just be throwing
2: roundhouses out there. <laughs> I think they mentioned a few times in the episode that he wasn't allowed to do the kicking stuff. So that that was where they built up to the, the sleeper hold. And I think it's almost like uh, his version of the Vulcan neck pinch, where like uh, Allison said, he can do it because he's a smaller guy. And as long as he holds on long enough, he can do it. And him being a doctor, knowing about blood flow and arteries, it all makes it plausible. <laughs>
4: I never thought about the fact that also if he if he unleashed that kick again, they would have been disqualified, and there goes the belt, and then right. Ronnie is back in danger. Right, so... so
5: There's a couple cases yeah. of seemingly involuntary roundhouse kicks from Sam in this. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he does that in the ring, like, he doesn't even realize he did it, like, oh, my God, and then he does it again in the bar to those stupid country guys.
1: <laughs> By yeah. the way, can I just say... <laughs>
5: best mugging face ever from that, like, country guy as they dissolve out no less than five different expressions from him. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Those are the kind of guys that keep those fishing programs
0: on the air. (laughs) These are the kind of guys that keep those fishing programs
1: on
5: the air.
4: Anytime I see characters like that on Quantum Leap, I think the South must hate this show.
0: And what do we look
4: like? A couple of idiots? I I live in the South. Always portrayed as buffoons. No, you live in Florida. That's just Long Island light. But I drive through the South on my way
2: up North. And um, there are so many people that are exactly that. And they're proud to be that. And it's a stereotype, but it's true. There's people like that all over the place.
4: Remember, the thoughts of the individual (laughs) do not reflect the thoughts of the Quantum (laughs) Leap Podcast. It's members or affiliates. (laughs) That's why I put that in there.
5: Well, it gave them the opportunity to bring back that uh, stock southern track they always use. (laughs) We're in the south. Yeah, right.
4: Well, I mean, for an episode that didn't really have much to discuss, we've we've talked a lot. But one thing we haven't talked about is poor, poor Dean Mm. got nothing for this episode. He got nothing to do. It was just Al was there because Al had to be there. And after a spate of episodes in which Al was so instrumental in moving the leap forward, just to see him on the side doing barely color commentary... It was it was kind of a step back, and it's another thing that I didn't like about the episode.
2: He got to ogle Sherry
4: Shiloh a lot. <laughs> Everybody could ogle. Him. I liked
5: the bit where, he, uh, where they're in the trailer, and then he warns Sam about the door right after he's broken it off. <laughs> <laughs> that
6: was funny. I laughed out loud there.
5: That was funny. But yeah, most of the time, uh, I don't think Al had a lot to do, and even his exposition, like... It wasn't really that interesting to give, so yeah, he didn't really have too much. Yeah, he was just the data dump for the episode.
2: I really enjoyed when he was in the ring and uh, the wrestler went through him, (laughs) and I thought that special effect was top-notch, like one of the best hologram passing-through effects they've done yet. The lighting was great, and it looked like he was really there. He didn't look like he was cut out or anything. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah,
4: they've gotten consistently better with that. And it's funny. I, I wonder if Dean was ever tempted to react, even though he knew he was a hologram or any anyway, he knew everything around him was a hologram and he couldn't be hit. If you see some 300 pound muscular guy coming at you in a wrestling ring, wouldn't you flinch even though you know he's going to pass he through did react, didn't He did react, I wonder if they ever played with that. He kind of flinched when he was
5: flying through him because, yeah, that would be involuntary because, you know. Right, right react as if you're a hologram if something's flying at you.
4: I'll have to go look
5: a little bit, but you got to remember he's had cars drive through him
2: and all kinds right, of things. He's yeah. walked through fire, so
5: you think like Al ever forgets, like he leaves the the chamber and the imaging chamber in real life, and then like I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> forgets he's not a hologram anymore.
2: Like, like a car's coming at him, and he's he's got he's got the hand link in his hand still for some reason he took it home, and the car is coming at him, and he's like yeah, and he gets hit by a car, and he's like
5: no, oh! <laughs> he's in the hospital in a full body cast. <laughs> Al, where were you? I was in a body cast, Sam. For <laughs> forgot, forgot a I was in the hologram. You don't know how fucking confusing this is, Sam. <laughs> there was a semi coming at me. <laughs> I got to I got to say too, as much as I don't like this episode, I think it has one of the best leap outs ever. Sam kicking a woman in the ass. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that was classic. That was good.
5: (laughs) I was
2: surprised uh, for the time how long they held on the shot of her ass.
4: (laughs) Well, here, and you know, the funny thing was that confused me a little bit too, Albie, because when Dean mentioned, hey, look, you know, here's an opportunity, and then they do that shot of her bent over, mm-hmm. and they linger on it. And to me, that's just Dean being like, "Dean, <laughs> check that out." You know, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, being lecherous, and it took me a minute to realize that he meant, "Oh no, you you can kick her." <laughs> I thought it was just you know him oogling like he always does. And then I said, oh, "Okay, now I know where they're going with it." I
5: do like how long it lingers, and it's just yeah, it does. It's right, it's just Sam angrily staring at an ass. Like, (laughs) do I kick it? Do I go here?
2: Well, until he kicks it, I was never thinking he's going to kick her butt. I was thinking (laughs) he's looking at her ass, as I would if that was there, you know, as most guys would. But Dr. Sam Beckett, I don't think would. So it's confusing for that forever four seconds before he kicks her. So do you, what do you think about him kicking her? You think that was one of those things that Tommy tried to squeeze in there and they just let him do it? It
5: was a real cliffhanger, you know? Cherry <laughs> on he, top? Is he, <laughs> is he going to? It was in the script, so apparently it was oh, cool. planned.
4: Yeah, I think you needed, you needed some kind of leap out on sure. this one mm-hmm. to, to to give it a bow and end that B plot in some way, I guess. So
2: was that one the one thing that he was actually there for to kick her in the ass? She
4: yes, she needed it so that the uh, husband wouldn't go around the country breaking necks anymore. <laughs> oh, so that so that's why he leaped. because he, the countless people he saved. He kicked her
5: in the in the ass and she went, <laughs>
4: <laughs> and everything was solved.
5: <laughs> Sometimes the littlest things will help you leap out.
2: There you it's go. almost
5: as good as him uh, dangling a preteen over a well. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Still dangerous.
4: <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, I think that I've said everything I have to say about Heart of a Champion. You guys want to give some final thoughts on this episode,
2: Albie? Oh, I just noticed from uh, being a referee for so long that uh, you know the guy who played the referee, Don Dolan, he did a good job, but it was written uh, bad because in both instances uh, where the Russians won the match, Sam won the match. The referee, if someone's knocked out or pass out from a sleeper hold, they wouldn't just count three. They would usually like lift their hand and say, okay, he's knocked out and call for the bell. So there would be actually no three count, especially both times um, Sam wasn't covering the, the person on the ground. So the, the counting to three didn't make sense at all for, from a wrestler mm. wrestling fan perspective. But that was the only goof I found.
4: And that's the only thing that I recognized about <laughs> wrestling. Oh, yeah, they count to three when they're out, so at least that's right. Okay, no, yeah, I <laughs> not,
2: not at all. If they're knocked out, you call for the bell. If they, you cover somebody, then you count to three. So that was my only observation that they got something wrong. So all in all, I, I really enjoyed it.
4: All right, and um, I know that, Allison, you think this is a filler episode, but in light of this discussion, do you have any different perspective on it that makes it better than it was?
5: No. <laughs> <laughs>
6: it's an episode that
5: it's climax is a sleeper hold and I think that's a pretty good summary of it's problems (laughs) and I'm also going to ask Matt as if he were here
4: Matt what did you think what are your final thoughts on this episode
6: Uh, so yeah I find Heart of a Champion uh, an unashamedly fun episode I don't watch uh, much wrestling myself it's not my kind of thing so I I have no idea how realistic this episode is, um, but equally it's a it's a fun chance to look at a, a topic that I don't know much about, and uh, that for me can be one of the the really fun aspects of Quantum Leap. Um, some great performances in it. Um, Terry Funk is unforgettable. Um, maybe one of the highlights of the season in some ways. Great to see Rance Howard popping up. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 full of funny moments and uh, and good performances. Yeah. I I like this episode.
4: Jolly good, jolly good, good show, governor.
6: That's my British (laughs) accent. That's offensive.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's uh,
5: continentalist. Guilty. (laughs) He was being a real British bulldog. (laughs) Uh,
4: Those are wrestlers, Chris. I've actually offended friends for my lack of respect for professional wrestling because... They think I'm looking down on them. And I just always wanted to step back and say, it's because I am. Wrestling is stupid. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not entertaining. And I am clearly in the minority. In fact, wrestling is so entertaining that there is an entirely new podcast here on the Barron Space Network dedicated entirely to wrestling. It's called Month of Mondays. And when we come back from the break, I will be interviewing one of the show's creators, Gabe Giannis, who you also might know from the Baron Space Program, Thinking Outside the Long Box. Gabe and I had a blast talking, so stick around and listen for that. And if that's not enough for you, we will also feature an interview with Susan Isaacs. She is a two-time Quantum Leap guest star, and she was in this episode as Myra, Ronnie's wife. Albie spoke to her, so look, we got so much great stuff coming. Just listen to this break, and we'll see you on the flip side.
3: So what's Captain Game Show? Well, the short answer is it's a podcast. The long answer is it's a light-hearted trivia wordplay thunderdome. I call this game dark and gritty. Kids Natural stuff. born sequel. What's my motivation? Epic bird play. Advertising one oh one oh one. Rhyme cast. Mr. Dalek,
1: life coach. I'll come up with games, and my guests come up with answers. Exhale. Duck, duck, goose. <laughs> no. hey, for
3: your He's got to put down the ducky if he wants to play the saxophone. The born monogamy.
1: Wolfgang Puck is Darkwing Duck. Big is My little puppy friendship is Magic
0: Mike. <laughs> Correct.
3: <laughs> There's also improv, music, and an inordinate amount of rhyming. Good night, John Travolta with Klingon-like hair. Good night, three percent rating. <laughs> you're tough, but you're fair. You can find Captain Game Show on CosmicPotato.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you normally get your podcasts. Round one. Round two. Final round. Fight! I don't know where this is going, but I like it. Hey, everybody. I'm Gabe. I'm Carlo. And we are the co-hosts of a month of Monday's podcast. We are the monthly wrestling podcast. Carlo,
6: how do you feel about our podcast? I feel like what this is, Gabe is a wrestling magazine for our fans out there to take a listen, Uh, kind of lighter hearted side of pro wrestling with some funny stories, some insights, and just to have some fun with you, man.
3: And you know what, that's what I like. I like podcasts where they can just get a little free range we all have listened to a podcast. It's week to week. that tells you the exact up-to-date news of wrestling, but this gives us a chance to talk about a little bit of the deeper dives of pro wrestling. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mom wrestling pod on Twitter at Monday's podcast or at Baronsface.com slash mom wrestling pod. You can find this podcast anywhere. Fine podcasts are given away for free because you don't sell podcasts.
6: If you will,
4: Yeah, this
3: is Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. And we're
4: back! (laughs) (laughs) I've been waiting to hear that for months and months, and indeed we are. On the line with us now is Gabe Giannis. Am I saying that right, Gabe? That's right. (laughs) All right, because I always say Giannis, but Gabe Giannis, he's a co-host of one of Baron Space Productions' longest-running shows, Thinking Outside the Long Box, as if you all didn't know. And uh, now... He's the host of one of the network's newest shows, A Month of Mondays, which is all about wrestling. So I figured, Gabe, what better episode to have you on the Quantum Leap podcast than Heart of a Champion, the wrestling episode, to talk about Month of Mondays. And welcome back to the Quantum Leap podcast.
3: Oh, thanks for having me back, man. That's pretty cool. When you told me there was a wrestling episode, I had to dig deep into my brain to, like, remember the wrestling episode. So <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, there was one. <laughs> yeah,
4: you're, you're not alone in that. It, it's an entirely forgettable wrestling episode. We, kinda, we, we kind of established that <laughs> in the first part of the show. So <laughs> if you listen awesome. back, you won't feel so bad. You know? Nice. <laughs> and I was going to ask you, I know you've hosted the Quantum Leap podcast before, co-hosted with Albie and Heather and Juan live doing The Great Spontini. Um, that was a less than stellar episode in my books. Do you remember the wrestling episode when you dug deep? Did you find anything?
3: You know, all, all I found was, yeah, I think I remember Scott Bakula in a singlet. And that was like (laughs) about it. (laughs) I, I thought about, I thought to myself, oh man, I should, I should, you know, look it up and watch it before we, we talk tomorrow. And I just Watched regular wrestling instead. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you probably had a much better time, trust me.
4: Although, if you're a fan of Terry Funk, I'd say it's worth a rewatch.
3: Oh, well, so I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess I will go watch it. If the Funker's in it, then I need to watch it, man. I mean, yeah, that's I, awesome.
4: I'm apparently the only dude on the planet who doesn't know who Terry Funk is, so.
3: Oh, man. His his like life in wrestling is so varied and so crazy that you have to... Like go just go watch YouTube videos of him and you'll be like, Oh wow, here's this amazing old school match. Oh, holy shit, he just blew himself up.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now in my mind I'm gonna equate him with Keith Moon. Um
3: <laughs>
4: so, so what, what's what's going on? You guys are starting a, a new show, thinking outside the long box at like four hours a pop isn't enough for you? You need to do even more podcasting?
3: Well, so no <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so, uh, at the very kind of like inception of thinking outside the long box, uh, one of our friends from the United kingdom, a guy named Carl Eggett, uh, had been on the show to talk about his podcast, which was called Monday night Carlo, which was, you know, ostensibly it was a wrestling show, but much like thinking outside the long box, it just kind of varied into general pop culture. And after a while he ended up not doing the show anymore. And, uh, A few months ago, he had approached me and was like, hey, I really miss podcasting. I really want to do a show again, but I really want to do just a wrestling show. And he had heard some of the talk that I had given with Juan on thinking outside the long box about wrestling. And so he's like, dude, do you want to do a show? I was like, I have four children, another podcast and a job. Like, there's no (laughs) way I have time for that. And and I told him if we if we do one, it, it's gotta be like a monthly show. Like it's gotta be a one hour once a month sort of thing. And he's like, Oh, dude, that's perfect. That's like what I have the spare time for. And so we started talking about it. And within a week, we had recorded like the episode zero which was like the coming soon and then within another week episode one was done we're like uh crap i guess we're doing this now
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful when it comes together and then you're like oh oh no it came together I, ha- I have a commitment now
3: yeah i mean but it's it's amazing it's a ton of fun it you know it it's it's exactly kind of what we wanted it to be just like this monthly like wrestling magazine show so we don't have to deal with like you know, who's injured or what happened on Raw this week, you know, (laughs) I mean, we just get to talk about wrestling in general. And that, that makes it a lot more fun for me because like, though I do read constantly on the internet, all the pop culture and wrestling news and stuff like that, I don't necessarily, and Juan complains about this constantly. I'm thinking outside the long box, like I don't necessarily watch, and read what everybody else is watching and reading so i can i can get on this and be like hey here's all these crazy underground indie wrestling things that are happening oh and also i'm fairly conversant on wwe so like it's it's a lot of fun
4: well that's cool now i am a complete wrestling neophyte i don't follow wrestling i don't really know much about it why is the podcast a month of mondays what's the significance of monday
3: Uh, So probably the flagship show of wrestling is Monday Night Raw. And so people kind of think of the wrestling week as starting with Monday. I mean, and even going back into like the 90s, when the two main companies, WWF and WCW, were like vying for the hearts and minds of, of wrestling fans. Their their flagship shows were Monday Night Nitro and Monday Night Raw, and they would go head to head on TV and compete with each other. Uh, like if you, <laughs> I sound like a WWE shill plugging their network right now, but <laughs> if you go okay. if you go to WWE network, there's actually a show called the Monday Night Wars that like is this crazy history of like the the epic battle between Bischoff and McMahon over like the Monday night time slot, you know, and it so. Monday has always been like this really kind of significant day in wrestling. And so we're talking about the last month of Mondays. So I got you. And it's a play on a month of Sundays or whatever. There's an idiom that was in my like all things. There was an idiom in my head. And I was like, let's put a spin that's sort of punny on the idiom.
4: <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because when I saw that you were doing a new mom wrestling podcast I really thought that's what it was going to be I thought that maybe Mel was going to get on the mic with uh, Juan's wife and they were going to talk about wrestling and <laughs> so it shows you how much I know oh no that would, the,
3: that would be amazing yeah. we should definitely have Carlos uh, significant other and and my partner get together and <laughs> talk about how much they hate that we do a wrestling podcast yeah, that, could, that could go on <laughs> in the off weeks right
0: yeah.
4: so. <laughs> so tell me a bit about Carlo how uh, do you guys coordinate for this show because he's where in the UK
3: yeah he's in the UK so he's seven hours ahead
4: but do they get the same programming that we do wrestling wise
3: uh, so yes and no so that's that's one thing that's really fascinating about doing this show is that uh, he gets you know all the regular WWE stuff he watches Monday Night Raw he watches Smackdown Uh, I think he watches NXT, which is the kind of like the NXT is hard to explain because it gets its own thing, but it's kind of like the, the training for people that are going to go into the two big shows, but it's its own thing and quite often a better product than the two big shows. But anyway, he gets, he gets all the WWE stuff, but he also has, there's, there's a lot of UK based promotions, uh, Right now on ITV, which is kind of like um, it's al- it, it sounds like it's almost like TBS. Like how if you get cable in the UK, you get ITV no matter what. Sort of like right. you would get TBS. Uh, but there's a there's a promotion on there called WOS, which stands for World of Sport. That is actually really fun, and it's a very much uh reminiscent of like the wwf style of wrestling where you know there's big fat dudes and like a giant guy and they're just like slugging it out and it's not necessarily crazy athletic but it's fun to watch and then uh there's also a couple big promotions there's one called rev pro that is uh just did tapings for television uh, i want to say last week that are going to be on like Uh, broadcast television in the UK and then of course there's a there's progress wrestling that ends up kind of being a farm for uh, British uh, wrestlers into the WWE Uh, when the WWE did their UK championship almost all of the wrestlers that were in it came from progress so there's you know there's a there's a whole nother product out there Mm -hmm. specifically for the UK that we get to talk about too Uh, because I I figured out how to watch it you know (laughs) so (laughs) definitely not through nefarious means but (laughs) uh, so so we have this cool like cross-pollination of like several different uh, wrestling promotions that we both get to watch you know I, I mean plus all the indie stuff that's out there too that you know is almost exclusively available online so
4: It sounds like it's almost too much to cover in one hour a month. How do you guys narrow down what you're going to talk about?
3: Uh, So I have a little notebook and we come up with topics over the four weeks and I just write down all of the topics. Um, I mean, and like right now that book has already, you know, from the last two months probably has like 35 different things in it. And then when we approach the episode... I just go through and I say, these are the four things that are the four or five things that we're going to talk about. Um, we do, um, uh, like you said, it's an hour long show. We do like 10 minute segments. The first, you know, five to 10 minute segment is just us saying, how was your month? Like, you know, yeah. what, what'd you do? You know, what was fun? What was exciting? And then we go through and we talk about each thing for like 10 minutes. So like this last episode, uh, we talked about, um, so there was a big independent wrestling, uh, pay-per-view called all in, that happened the day we recorded uh, episode two, and uh, so we talked about how excited we were about it because it hadn't come on TV yet. And then we released the episode a week after it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So there's like this. There's like this weird like continuity thing that we're we're trying to avoid by talking more about. We talk less about all in as a product, like you know, I'm excited to see this. I'm excited to see that, but more about it as I'm excited that it's doing this for the business that it's like putting eyes on like a whole new brand of wrestling that is, has before this really been unavailable to the public. So we just narrow down our topics into like five things that we're going to talk about. And because we don't have to be news centric, because it's a once a month podcast, we can talk, you know, Carlo recommended as a topic, you know, before issue one came out, what happens if the XFL fails now that Vince McMahon has his actual money in it, as opposed to like people, you know, putting their money into it. We might talk about that in issue 16, you know, Mm -hmm. we can, because it's not so news driven, we can just come up with topics and like narrow down our topics and talk about them in little chunks and it, it just makes it a cool little magazine show as opposed to like being so in the moment. In yeah. the moment, yeah.
4: I think that's great because you, uh, instead of just saying, like you said, oh, look what was on last night, you get to talk about more general trends and about the sport or the entertainment. So I don't know how you classify it more broadly. And that does make it into more of like a culture show as yeah. opposed to oh, like, a, like a like a play by play. Is, is there anything else like that out there?
3: I, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, like, you know, when when Carlo proposed the show, like we just went like, I mean, the only thing I double checked was that there wasn't a month of Monday's podcast already <laughs> looking at you other thinking outside the long box. Like, <laughs> it's been quite the saga with that. Oh, yeah <laughs> <like, laughs> Those guys. Someday. Someday we're going to be in a room with those guys and I'm going to flip them off and scream at them. <laughs> 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 All right, very, month of Mondays, very, month of Mondays. It'll be very much like a Stone Cold intro. Like there'll be a shattered glass noise and I'll smash a beer against my head, flip them off and give him the stunner. Like <laughs> so all your wrestling fans out there, you know exactly what Gabe was talking about. <laughs> oh, man, uh, it's awesome that you like there there may there may only be one other wrestler that is more ingrained into like the cultural zeitgeist. Like the rock might be the only other wrestler that everybody immediately goes, Oh, I know who that is. Like stone cold is probably like the most culturally accessible wrestler. And you're like, I don't know. Uh, Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Uh, well, I meant modern wrestlers, but yeah, you're right. Hulk Hogan is definitely (laughs) aside his (laughs) <laughs> is uh, his current proclivity for saying the N-word and getting caught in sex tapes.
4: <laughs> well, Gabe, in case you haven't figured it out, there might not be a less qualified person on the planet to interview you about a wrestling show, but I'm glad you're game. So... Since I'm so uninformed about the wrestling world in general, uh, maybe you can throw some names out there for listeners who are fans like you are. Are you guys doing any kind of guest spots? Are you trying to get interviews on this show?
3: Uh, we we'd like to. We haven't gotten that far yet. So far, we've done one interview with a, a YouTuber named It Begins Again, Josh from It Begins Again. He does basically like a blooper reel show uh in wrestling they're called botches so it's like a botch show where he does these like super cuts of like the botches that happened this week because the wwe is so good at maintaining control of their product
1: Uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) uh, so he does like this botch show where he like you know there's a clip of the botch and he like puts you know, sound bites from like movies from the eighties over it. And it's, it's really, really hilarious. Uh, you know, it's, but it's, it's a YouTube channel. He just has like a zillion followers and he just happened to like our show and gave us a little bump. And that's great. That that's been really cool. So he's going to be in issue three. Uh, it begins again. It's definitely worth looking up. Uh, his show is called uh wrestling dumb uh, S word. So people find it by going to WDS uh, but I, I, I forget that I shouldn't swear on your show and like, I forget that I shouldn't swear on a month of Mondays, but so.
1: <laughs> it's
4: years and years of TOTLB. I you know, know. Just saying, ah,
3: I say whatever I want. It's awful. Yeah.
4: <laughs> it's funny because the swears have been creeping up a bit between me, Matt and Allison. And I've been wearing out the uh, Ziggy handlink sound effect to censor us because, you know, sometimes a swear is warranted, but we still want to stay family friendly. So if you want to swear a little bit, I can probably work around it.
3: Oh, I, I'm, I'll keep it out. I'll, I'll do my very best. <laughs> what I should say right there is I'll do my best. <laughs> there you go.
4: That's the Gabe honest I know and love. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, tell everybody where they can find Month of Mondays. You guys got a website or a Twitter or Instagram? Where, where can everybody connect with you?
3: So there's basically three places... Or four places that you can find us right now. Of course, you can go to barrenspace.com slash mom wrestling pod. <laughs> I I thought it was funny to come up with the moniker mom wrestling uh, because I was hoping that people like you would think, oh, a show about moms that wrestle each other. I want to listen to that. A,
4: you got one of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash mom wrestling pod. Cast, I think I forget if it's Mom Wrestling Pod or Mom Wrestling Podcast. If type in pod first, and if that doesn't work, add cast. But uh, <laughs> uh, probably the easiest way to find us though is on Twitter at Mondays Podcast. We're doing a lot there. Uh, Carlo is quite adept at using Twitter, <laughs> uh, unlike me. Uh, Cause I'm old and sometimes technology confounds me, but, <laughs> uh, and then you can also find us on YouTube. If you look up a month of Mondays on YouTube, uh, we're posting the full episodes uh, there as like videos, if you prefer to subscribe. And I've also been doing uh, some cut uh, videos that are just like cuts of some of my favorite wrestlers set to heavy metal music called heavy wrestling. uh there's three of those now, one with Pentagon jr, one with Pete Dunn, and one with the iconic Jerry the King lawler that uh, I found this amazing doom writer song called Heavy Lies the Crown so it all works together. it was pretty cool so <laughs> but yeah th- those are basically really to this man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are basically the ways that you can find us so.
4: Well, that sounds terrific. I urge everyone out there who's listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast to also subscribe to Month of Mondays, as well as Thinking Outside the Long Box. We need everybody to support everything that's coming out on the Barron Space podcasting network. We have a lot of great content, and it's amazing to me that Gabe found a way to produce even more because he's the king of content around here with Juan. So it's it's been a real... You know, Honor, I remember the last time you were on the Quantum Leap podcast, Gabe, when you heard my name, you said something about wanting to put your body on my body.
3: Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I am a big fan of that. So,
4: <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling all warm and fuzzy talking to you just with that memory, man. And uh...
3: you, want, you want to wrestle?
4: <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, with
3: that. i mean family seems like a stretch
4: (laughs) Uh, okay uh before we get an e-rating Gabe, is there anything else about the month of mondays that you wanted to tell everybody that we haven't covered yet (laughs) you know like
3: the one last thing i would say is wrestling fan or not maybe check out the show at least once because you might discover like your new favorite thing wrestling, you know, you think it's hokey, you think it's dumb. And yeah, it, it is a lot of the time. It's very corny sometimes like, you know, those, those Hogan and ultimate warrior guys, it was super crazy. But wrestling as an entertainment, there's so much out there that people can discover. Show, besides the WWE, there's shows like Lucha Underground that have like crazy like plots. There's stuff like the UK Wrestling that just has high-level athleticism. So check out our show. You might discover your new favorite like pop culture television.
4: You heard it here first, folks. Go to Month of Mondays. A whole world will open up for you.
3: A whole new world! <laughs> <laughs>
4: Gabe, it has been a blast talking to you as always. I can't wait to go on to thinking outside the long box and ruining one of your segments over there. Okay. Oh,
3: awesome. uh, It's (laughs) impossible to ruin one of our segments. Just so you know. (laughs) We have Doyle on the show now.
4: (laughs) uh, I'm going to do my damnedest, but uh, thanks so much for joining us on Quantum Leap Podcast. And once again, everybody, that is month of Mondays.
3: Check it out. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it.
6: Okay, and now it's time for our interview with Susan Isaacs.
2: Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us on the Quantum Leap podcast. It's an honor to have you.
0: It's a delight to be here.
2: Uh, I had a few questions about uh, Quantum Leap. You're not only in one episode that we're talking about today, uh, Heart of a Champion, but you're Quantum Leap uh, fans probably remember you best from your other Quantum Leap episode, The Last Gunfighter. Could you tell me how uh, you got involved in Quantum Leap and uh, anything you can tell me about being on the show?
0: Sure. Um, I remember going to callbacks at Universal in the big giant ziggurat building in Universal. And I remember I had gone in and then came out and Susan Bluestein, the casting director, said, hey, you come back and do it again. So I knew that was a sign that somebody in the room was rooting for me. It was probably Joe Napolitano, um, who directed both episodes. And I think this may have happened. I can't remember if this was the first time or the second time. Like, he was like, no, I really want her to do it. But I remember Susan coming out and saying, we need you to go back in and do it. Um, so I knew I was in the right place. Um, and I, and that was the second for Don Belisario too, so... But it was just a delight to work on that show. Joe Napolitano, he was my director for both of them. And we filmed The Last Gunfighter at Stevenson Ranch, which was a very famous uh, ranch area. I'm sure it's now a bunch of housing that had been used for many Western-themed TV shows and films for quite a long time. But as L.A. spread out, you know, eventually it got bought up by some big developer, and it's, it's no longer there, sadly. But um, Heart of a Champion was really fun because the woman playing my mother-in-law was in Groundhog Day. She yes. was sort of the the hostess at the place where Bill Murray's character was staying. So it was fun seeing her in that too. And she was she was really really fun. Uh,
2: that scene you had with her, um, your scene by the trailer, you got your character got caught talking about her. I thought that was a really good moment, like when you passed each other, but didn't make eye contact. Was that like a conscious yes. decision? Was that in the script?
0: No, that wasn't in the script, but that was how I felt like, I don't want to look at her. You know, I just need to avoid eye contact. That may have been something that um, Joe had directed me to do, but I definitely remember feeling like, uh, uh uh-huh. don't look her way.
2: Yeah. in that one little moment, it, it just communicated so much.
0: <laughs> a really funny thing. When I'm sitting down to talk to Sam. But when I'm sitting down, I say, or I say, I really, I really worried Carrie and there's a gap there. And it was because I had suddenly forgotten the name of the character and they left it in. But every time I watch it, it's like, there I am going, I feel really worried.
1: Carrie
0: <laughs> <laughs> was a nice say, but I guess they like, they like the pause because we did it several ways and there was a big drama over how to wear my hair. Because I think, you know, it was set back, um, I think, and I can't remember, if it was late 50s or early 60s. And my hair just looked really awkward. It just looked a little too, little too kind of bouffant, Sandra And so they ended up putting it in a, I think it was a, a hair clip behind my head instead.
2: Yeah, you don't want it too much on the nose.
0: Yeah, it, was a, it just a little, looked a little too, like, you know, Aquanet for them, which I was grateful for.
2: Heart of a Champion was that like uh, one day for you, or
0: it was one day? Yeah, it was just one day, and that was all done on a soundstage inside.
2: Wow! Wow! Yeah, that looked really yeah, good it looked
0: for good that on soundstage. That's amazing! It looks great. It looks really great.
2: When you read the script and you uh, saw that you got the episode about wrestling, what did you think?
0: Well, I just thought, Yay! Good for me. I <laughs> booked work. Um, you know, I never sort of imagined I'd be in, in a show about wrestling, but I was just so, it was such a great, fantastic show. Just such a wonderful show. And I was just so really, really happy to get it. I think I remember I had just gone apple picking and I was sitting at my kitchen table with my sister and my mom had come up and we were like drilling through a bunch of apples on one of these apple corers when I got the news that I had booked it. So yeah, that's what I remember about booking that show. It's like, I got a quantum leap. And so I had to um, put the apples aside for a bit. Mm-hmm. I think we had collected like a bushel of apples. Oh, wow.
2: I remember yeah. going apple picking when I was a kid. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you feel when you, uh, did you get a call to come back or did you have to audition uh, for the uh, last gunfighter?
0: In both cases. I mean, today you just put everything on tape. You rarely are in the room with the producers and director, but back then, yes. So I had to go to Universal twice in, bo- in both cases. Um, I think probably on the second one, now that I think about it, I think that the time that Susan called me back into the room was on the last gunfighter, the second one. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's really odd. You'll go into a room and you'll feel like you totally nailed it and you don't get it. And other times you'll feel like you walked out going, well, I didn't get that. And then you're called in and you book it. Um, But yeah, in the old days, when you really saw people face to face, then you had a real audience to play off of. But, um, the second time, I mean, I felt confident to go back in, but the second, you know, it's not, wasn't like a recurring, I wasn't playing the same character. So it's like, really, they, it's okay for me to come back and play another character and they're all right with that. I mean, I knew that Joe really, you know, he was a big champion of mine is delightful man, just a, the sweetest, most delightful person. They, they all were. I mean, Scott Bakula was just a gem. So sweet. Every time, the first time I came in, he was just always, hi, I'm, I'm Scott, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. He was that way with everybody. And then when I came back, he was like, it's so great to have you back. Oh, he, awesome. He, he was just a really thoughtful person. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. just He was just one, you know, he was just an Indian among Indians.
2: On your uh, second episode, were you more excited to go back? And what was it like having a much bigger role in the other episode?
0: It, it was one of those things where, I mean, when you're, you're just happy to work and you get pages like, oh, I, I got a lot to do here. And um, especially in that, that uh, um, Bouchier and that outfit, it's like, wow, it's sort of of glam because I I was I've always been a character actor, never got something that was remotely glam. But the fun thing was being able to go on location and to go to that very famous Stevenson's ranch. And the other thing, the guy playing the villain, he played a very famous part in a Gunsmoke episode. Mm. He was the bad guy in a Gunsmoke episode that I had to edit. When I was in film school, we had to do an editing. We had to take one scene. And this was like the standard editing scene that editors, student editors had to do was you had to edit this shootout scene from this Gunsmoke episode. And he was the villain in that. So when he showed up, I'm like, wait, I know you. You're in that Gunsmoke episode. That was so that's the one thing I remember about that. And he passed away. I think that that, that the, the Last Gunfighter was the last piece of work he did. He was quite old. Um, and he passed away the following year. So it was really special to have him on the set and be part of that. Was he nice? He was, you know, these old Hollywood guys who were just workhorses. Who, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started off as a contract player. He He was, you know, he had a lot of great stories. And he was a sweet man. I just... I remember also Joe gave me the um, Joe Napolitano the director gave me the, the nickname Squinty <laughs> because like I don't I never sweat much um, you know I didn't have to constantly be patted down but if I was in the sunlight I just couldn't help squinting and Joe taught me the trick if you look up at the sun with your eyes closed your pupils will adjust even, and and then you can open your eyes and you don't squint as much. But I still squinted. <laughs> so he called me he's called me Squinty from then on.
2: So you edited his uh, film in film school and-
0: I in film school. I edited it for my editing project. I think then like the following decade they, they started doing Hawaii five oh and I don't I don't know what they do now because now everyone's on avid. But yeah, this was sort of this was in like we actually had actual film that we had to cut on a movieola.
2: Was that just for school or do you, do you still edit every once in a while? That was for school.
0: No, no, I don't edit. I'm, I'm a word editor now. Uh, I spend my time editing words.
2: Uh, now you're, uh, you teach in film school, one of the most prestigious yes. film schools, uh, Chapman university. Yes. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, that? You screen, teach screenwriting, right?
0: Well, I started teaching summer programs. I teach, I teach like a structure class since about 2001, I taught for a program called the f one program. And then I taught screenwriting and sketch comedy at a private university here in LA called Azusa Pacific University. I taught there for seven years, but I'm delighted to be at Chapman. It's like a little mini USC, it's an incredible program. And we have such amazing part time faculty. I'm, I'm new part time faculty so far, just in the part time faculty room, I've met just great giants agents from CAA who are just happy to teach there. The chairman of of Netflix is very much involved and on the board. And it's really an incredible program. The Duffer brothers graduated from Chapman a few years ago. And it's, it's fantastic. I'm teaching two screenwriting classes. I'm teaching feature one. So it's the first time that the students are working on an entire feature in my class. So I'm, I'm teaching that and I'm really excited. It's a workshop environment. So for the non-majors, so they're in Dodge college, they might be production majors or creative producing, or maybe they're television writing majors. And then I also have my sophomore cohort. They are screenwriting majors. So they have bonded. They're part of a small group and they are basically, they're going to be with each other for the four years. And, um, yeah, we're we're I'm working them hard. By the time they finish, they will have the first thirty pages of a, of a feature, plus they will have a beat sheet, a treatment, and a one-page pitch. Um, these are all things that that they have to put into their portfolio by the end of the semester. And next semester, I will continue with the screenwriting major, so I will make sure that they get that first feature done by their sophomore year. I'm very excited. Awesome.
2: Um, One thing I was wondering, teaching screenwriting, you probably have a greater understanding, I'm guessing, of the screenwriting process and storytelling in film and television. So, like, are you ever able to turn that off and enjoy a movie or television without, like, Uh, knowing what's coming next?
0: No, no, I can't turn it off. (laughs) I can't turn it off. Unless it's so brilliant that I am caught up in the story and I forget that, but it's always like, yep, here comes midpoint turnaround, or yeah, that's the, you know, you're, now we're in the second act or this is always the case. I love, I mean, I mean, I'm a comedian. That's which was, which was so great about quantum leap is I played straight characters. I've mostly done comedy and I was in the groundlings. Um, oh, wow. I was a member of the groundling Sunday company before I went to grad school. And so I've always been a comedian, so that was what's so wonderful about Quantum Leap. But I love like crime dramas, and it's like whenever someone is like going to their car, and <laughs> we're spending time watching, it's like somebody's gonna get hit over the head. You just know that because otherwise you would cut. It, you wouldn't have no reason to follow someone into a parking garage unless something was gonna happen. Or I'll see the mechanics of it. Or even when something's good. Uh, a friend of mine, she's also a writer and a comedian, and we love watching movies together. And we'll stop it, and we're like, yep, we're right at the midway point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's classic story structure is classic story structure because it's classic. I mean, it goes back to all the myths and stories throughout history. I think Joseph Campbell talked a lot about it. But I do enjoy it. But when something is so brilliant that I'm caught up into it, I forget that. That's the only time. It has to be something. Like I, I felt that way watching Dunkirk and Darkest Hour. I was just so caught up in the story that I forgot. Or Wonder Woman. I forgot Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Those are two movies that I just I forgot about because I I just was so caught up in the story. And that's that's a lot to say because Mar like the Marvel you know the comic book movies. I'm it's not really my favorite genre. I loved Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Funny. Wonder Woman, and yeah, yeah, those were great. And I think they transcended just like, oh, it's another comic book movie where you know the superhero is gonna. All uh, right, you know. I have to say, with Avengers, I I did actually fall asleep for about ten minutes, and I woke up and nudged my husband and said, "Did anything happen?"
2: I did yeah. too. I did too, and um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of those movies. But it was like one of those fight scenes where there was so many things going on that I was just like numb to it, and I fell Whatever. asleep. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I was yeah. awake for the story part of it. So, um, <laughs>
0: well, good for you. I think I fell asleep during part of the story part, but I don't think I feel like I missed anything.
2: So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like Groundhog Day. If you fall asleep during that, you don't know it.
0: Then, yeah, you don't. (laughs) You know, the interesting thing about Groundhog Day is the writer structured it around the five stages of grief. So each of those days he repeats is actually like, what is it, Shock anger denial bargaining and acceptance wow that's what each one of those sequences about yeah it's really fascinating i've
2: never i never realized that and i've seen that yeah. probably a hundred times it's one of the ones i run uh i
0: love that over and
2: over. uh speaking bill murray you were in scrooge you were in that scene where everybody doesn't know the name of the ship that they got to gilligan's island it
0: was on. the ss minnow yes the SS Minnow. no points this round what, what's
2: it like yeah. being in a movie where uh, most people that i know watch that every year
0: it's, it's funny because I'm also in a Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So I feel like I'm in two great movie classics. And the fun thing about Scrooge was that his brother, both of his brothers were the, two, the of the three guys in that party scene. Joe and John who were his two brothers in the film. And my date was, was Joe. And he's, he's gone on and done a lot of work. He had a really great role in uh, Mad Men. So it was two of his brothers and the writer, Mitch Glazer. And then the women in it, there was Wendy Malick, who was married to Mitch Glazer at the time. It was before she did Just Shoot Me. And a friend of a friend of Lauren Shuler Donner and then me. So I felt like the odd men out, but. I was just treated like one of the boys. It was so fun. It was just so fun. And I remember being in the makeup trailer with Bill Murray and he is just this comic genius where he's on another planet and he's (laughs) super tall. And I just like looked at his face, his eyes, he was just like, he's thinking on a different level, just thinking on a different level. He's just one of those kind of like, I wouldn't say spectrum, but he's just brilliant beyond like normal people. Hmm.
2: Yeah. I like it. His yeah, work. He just, he's got good work.
0: I love, I love the way his work has gotten, he's done some really serious, uh, vulnerable stuff recently. Like, yeah, no, I just, I love everything he's done. He's just, he was just terrific.
2: Playing Strangers and Automobiles. I watch that every Thanksgiving. That's the movie that's playing yeah. on a loop
0: on Thanksgiving
2: and, uh, you're not in it for very long, but you're the, your character is the, is like the heart of the ending you know, where your heart kind of breaks for John Candy's character. How did you get involved in that?
1: Well, I
0: just went into uh, Jane Jenkins' office and took a photo. And I was just going to be a photo, and he was going to have a series of photos in his wallet that he showed Steve Martin on the plane. But when they were in production, I kept mailing cards to them, to Dell, like, make sure you have your lunch packed. (laughs) Um, And they loved it. And so they actually brought me in, and we we improvised two separate Thanksgiving scenes. So I was on the set. I think they were shooting some stuff with Steve Martin and his wife, whose name is escaping me right now, on another side of the soundstage. And I got to improv two Thanksgivings with John Candy. And I actually was supposed to go in to do looping. This was like about a month before it came out, but I was in Colorado. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it wasn't until the movie opened that I realized that the Thanksgiving dinners were cut. And they had put them in. And they weren't going to show it until the very end. And I was so heartbroken that they ended up not being in it. But the movie works better without them because it's left for Steve Martin to imagine it.
2: Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. It's,
0: just, it's heartbreaking. I was really hoping that they would end up like in a DVD outtakes.
2: But, hey, maybe um, still, you never know.
0: Well, They always um, put out a
2: new edition every once in a while.
0: I know. I really hope they could have done a director's cut, but John Hughes died before they ever did that. So maybe after I'm gone, they will release like the 50th anniversary or the 100th anniversary. And my grand nieces and nephews would say, hey, <laughs> here's Aunt Susie. But yeah, it was super, super fun. And, and John Candy was one of the nicest people I ever met. I, I worked with him on that movie and on um, Delirious. And he was such a sweetheart. So we had time when when John Hughes was over on the other side of the soundstage uh, directing, um, let's say Lorelai, her name was Lorelai. So we just had all this time to kill. So John Candy and I just sat in his trailer playing cards. Oh my goodness. He was just one of these people that made you feel comfortable. And you, that doesn't always happen. Like you'll be on a show, especially if you're on a show that's gone crazy, like it's a TV show, like I worked on Seinfeld. And like- with every good reason, you know, Jerry Seinfeld needed a wall. He needed a wall. You mm-hmm. know, some people, it's like, everyone's at you, and you just need your own space. But there were certain people who would just, hey, come on and join us. Jason Alexander was that way. But, but that's the way um, John Candy was. He was just like, hey, come on, sit in the trailer, and, you know, let's play cards. Or maybe we'll play Trivall Pursuit. I don't remember which one. Maybe I'm <laughs> conflating that with Scrooge. But he was, just, he was just a doll.
2: One of uh, my daughter's favorite actors, she's six, but I think that's because his name's Candy. But if he's in it, she'll watch that movie. She loves like Splash and
0: different things he did. Um, he's so funny. His stuff with Second City TV is, oh my gosh, I just, okay, he's hilarious. Everything I, everyone on Second City TV was brilliant. But that's the first time i had seen him was when I saw clips of SCTV before I started acting. And I just, you
2: know, he was just the best. So he he was basically like what you see in public, that's who he was. Yep. Wow. That's
0: who he was. It's nice when you find
2: out about people like that.
0: Yeah. That what you see is what you get.
2: (laughs) Planes, Trains, and Automobiles has a weird connection to Quantum Leap. Uh, You and uh, Richard Hurd, who is also in Quantum Leap, played uh, uh, Mo Stein, a sci-fi character in in another episode of uh, Quantum Leap, and Olivia Burnett. Uh Uh, which is was a little, the little girl in the end of the movie? Uh, she played Sam's sister in Quantum Leap. So there's a there's like a weird connection. Oh,
0: and I keep finding wow. more people that were in
2: both. So you're one of them.
0: Wow. Well, at least I can go down in history as that, <laughs> being connected to two really wonderful projects. Yeah.
2: Speaking of you being a comedian, uh, your memoir is a comedy, right? Like a comedy memoir? Yes. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yes. Um, well, When I was in New York, I was in a sketch comedy show with uh, Tony Hale and Jeannie Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan's wife, and another guy named Todd Wilkerson. And we did a sketch show. We were like finalists. We almost made it to the Aspen Comedy Festival. And I wrote this sketch where this single woman goes in to talk to her pastor like she's gone into couples counseling, but her partner isn't there. And then she admits that her partner is God, that they're not getting along. And just when... (laughs) the pastor's about to call the, you know, like the white coats to come and get her. God shows up in a toga and they have a domestic argument. And then <laughs> Jeannie came in in like a tie dye shirt and a beard being Jesus like, Hey, peace out. And it was, it was one of the sketches that um, made us the finalist for um, Aspen. But a few years later, my whole life fell apart all at once. And I was like, no, really God. And I need to go to marriage counseling. And so, um, you know, I, I I basically say that it's basically chronicling my, my crazy ride on the Jesus bus, for lack of a better term. But I frame it under this thing of, like, taking God to counseling because we're not getting along. And it's done very well. I toured it. I did a solo show that I toured throughout um, the U.S. and Canada, um, basically, basically framing, you know, the spiritual quest with this device of, like, getting into a counseling office and hashing it out with the almighty it was very, very fun. And when I did the audio book for random house, um, Tony played Jesus. He's like, Hey man, how are you? He's so great. He's like, Hey, Hey brother. You know, he's, <laughs> he's doing that. So he did a great job. We've been friends for quite a long time. We started, we became friends when I moved to New York. So that was a lot of fun. So it's, it's on uh, Kindle, paperback, um, and random house audio, or I think it's probably available on Audible. So it was really, really fun.
2: Are you going to write another book?
0: Yes. I'm working on a second book. Um, I got married late, or as I like to say, I skipped my first marriage and it's basically (laughs) the A story thinking I could write it. The A story is my search for a husband and then getting married and realizing that, Oh, what marriage isn't just about getting everything you want. It's about making you grow up Mm. and become an adult. Um, and the B story is going through all the good and bad advice I received about uh, dating and marriage and relationships. That's been a little, lo- it's taken a, bit, a little bit longer to write, but um, I'm really enjoying that one too. Writing's hard. It's just hard. As they say, it's really easy to just sit down um, at the computer and open up a bang, which is kind of it, but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, anything worth doing is going to be hard. So mm.
2: Yeah, I enjoy writing. Uh, what what kind of advice could you give to writers, like uh, different types of writers also? Is there different types of writing, or is writing writing?
0: Well, there's probably better to say there's different types of writers. Okay. Um, and Tchaikovsky said, I sit down at the piano every day at 9 a.m., and the muses have learned to keep the appointment. <laughs> I'm not good at that. I have a really hard time just sitting down, because my whole life, especially as an actor has always been so peripatetic and I don't know what I'm doing every day. And sometimes my best writing time is between 11 PM and 3 AM. And I just wake up late. And fortunately I have a husband who works at clockwork and, you know, he's sort of the, the norm, the normie in the family. But I would say this, the best advice I can give is write with paper and pen, especially to start. Because the computer and the keyboard, we get all caught up in digital things. We're looking at the margins or have I spelled it right? Do I have a wrong on sentence? And we can really cut off the creative process. When you get going, you can get back to the typewriter. But when, when I teach writing classes and I do this as in-class writing exercises, um, there's no computers in my, in my classes, even at Chapman. You shut all that off and you interact with, you know, if one person's showing, you might see that on the screen. But when I have them write, you sit down and I'll do a timer. And the first thing I say to writers is get out a paper and pen, put a timer, and then just write writing a bullet list of all the things you know you want to write about. Whether it's all the moments in a scene and just do the list when a timer goes off, then look at what item on the list that has the most energy and then just write about that. Because, we will miss all the spontaneous creativity if we're stuck looking at the computer screen. And it would be great. I mean, honestly, if I could get into the habit of just sitting down at the, you know, paper and pen or the computer and letting the muses keep the appointment, I'm sure I would be, have been a lot more productive, but I work great right on a deadline. One of the reasons why I finished my first book is because I sold it on a proposal. And then I had a deadline when I needed to turn in the manuscript. So it's like, you got to do it. That's what you're doing <laughs> right now. Um, but some of us are goal-driven. Some of us are much more methodical. I think there's probably, whether you're an Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, we're all a little bit different. But i also say, if you're having trouble, sign up for a class that costs money. Because mm. if you've got money down, you're more likely, you know, if you like paid $300, $400 or whatever, or however much for a class, you're up and you know you have to show up with work, you're more likely to do it.
2: It's kind of like accountability for yourself because you, it is you, you want to make the money you spent worth it.
0: Yeah, that's why I went back to grad school. I mean, sometimes I regret that I didn't stay in the groundlings, but I was like, I'm never going to get this stuff for if I don't if I don't have some accountability. Of course, back then USC was a lot cheaper. My
1: God, <laughs> um,
0: I paid off my student loans so fast. I paid off half my student loans before I finished because of things like quantum and because I was working. And it was really funny because I got more work during grad school than I did. I got, such, I did, got Seinfeld and a bunch of stuff because I was like, hey, guys, I got to get through this audition and go back to school. OK, I don't need you. <laughs> and it was that attitude of like, yeah, this is great, but I got this stuff going on that kind of, I think, freed me up to just enjoy the audition.
2: And your talent.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Most people in Hollywood are talented. Um, well, I don't know. I <laughs> see some people, I'm like, oh, they got a job. <laughs> but but um, yeah, talent's not enough. Um, I know you said you are
2: consider yourself a character actor, and you're really uh, good, I, I, I must say, because uh, before I knew I was talking to you, there were so many characters of yours that I knew just from watching you know awesome television oh. shows like, of course, Quantum Leap and Seinfeld and different things, and even that uh, carpet commercial you did. Um, but, (laughs) but I never knew all those people were the same actress. So a job well
0: done. Oh, well, I guess I'm a good chameleon.
2: (laughs) Do you ever get recognized from, uh, Seinfeld?
0: No, I, I haven't. Although my students will be like, Hey, I just (laughs) saw you on Seinfeld. So, after they know me, and they'll come up in reruns. I, most recently, I was on a Blackish episode. It was actually the pilot for Grownish, but they've skewed Grownish more to the kids. So, I played a, um, the assistant to the president of the university where she's going, played by Matt Walsh, who is in deep and is hilarious. He was one of the original founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade. So, maybe if they ever get on to the administrative stuff. And Chris Parnell, I knew because Chris, Chris Parnell, is in Grownish. He plays like the provost or something. And I was in the Groundling Sunday show when he was going through the school. Well, when he and Will Ferrell were going through the school. So I like to tell him I, um, you know, I vote him in, so he better be nice to me. <laughs> um, but so I was in Blackish and then I was also in Veep recently. Um,
2: what was that like? Not
0: this season, this being filming. Oh, it was awesome. Hmm. It was just so so fun i you know i know i know tony i wasn't in a scene with tony i was in it with the daughter it was just a scene with her that ended up in a role credit so it wasn't super cool but everyone on the set is so much fun and i was in the makeup trailer with julia and she didn't remember me from i wasn't like hi remember <laughs> me from like one of the five thousand episodes she, she was just oh hello welcome you know welcome yeah. tony might have said something to her later but yeah.
1: her she, baby was a bastard she's
0: just <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Mama's cute little bastard. <laughs> See, that I'll get later. It's more after people, like a student or whatever, is like, hey, wait a minute. But I used, I remember for quite a while, I remember some Sparklets guy who I didn't know from Adam was like, hey, Marie. So I would get that um, occasionally. Um, maybe occasionally I'll get that.
2: Yeah. Is there, uh, you've done so much. Is there something that like people might not have uh, caught uh, originally, but you think that if something they should like really check out besides your book, of course.
0: My goodness. Well, definitely the book. There isn't something that comes to my mind right away. Oh, you know, I, you know I'm really proud of the sketch show that we did at Azusa Pacific University. Um, and if you go onto YouTube and you look for me, Susan Isaacs, I have a playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's AQ Sketchy, and I'm so proud of my students. I saw Hamilton two months after it came out wow. in New York only because one of my best, I had gone to do my solo show in New York, and this is like September, and my friend who is a, a she's a teacher consultant, she found out from her high school teachers who were te- history teachers who had, they had seen Hamilton in, at the Joe Papp Theater off-Broadway, and they told her, go down to Richard Rogers and get tickets now. And so in April, she went, they're like, we're sold out till December. So she bought four tickets. And when I came in to do my solo show, she said, you got to go get tickets. So I saw Hamilton just right before it hit critical mass. And when I came back in January to my sketch class, I said, we're doing for a parody opening, we're doing a parody of the Alexander of Alexander Hamilton, the opening song. And, Uh, All the theater geeks were like, yeah, (laughs) and all the hipster cinema guys are like, no way. (laughs) But they totally pulled it off. Um, And there's so much great stuff on that. uh, Just really brilliant, brilliant stuff. I don't know if you remember. um, It was for... um, the ASPCA, Sarah McLaughlin did a PSA for kids. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) Well, one of my students, the guy who's kind of the lead singer in the Alexander Hamilton opening, um, wrote this, it's called Save a Ginger. And it's about (laughs) gingers being in danger. And it's like, you can provide medical care. And there's a shot of a ginger, like spraying himself with, you know, SPF 100. It is so brilliant. Oh. And then, so that's, I would say, to go to find Susan Isaacs on YouTube and look for the playlist Sketchy because there is such absolutely brilliant work. Absolutely brilliant work. I'm so proud of those kids. They've done such a great job. And there's also a parody of, of One Day More called One Ring More, um, where it's basically One Day More from Les Miserables, but it's not wow. uh, Frodo. <laughs> and that's also, it's, it's, Out of this world. Daniel Berg, who wrote that, is like freak genius. Hilarious. Uh, I have something to watch tonight. That's awesome. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, Email me and I'll send you the direct link. Awesome.
2: I will put those in the show notes. Can you? uh, Do you have any more stories or little uh, anecdotes from the set of Quantum Leap or anything that happened to you because you were on Quantum Leap that you could share with the fans of Quantum Leap?
0: Well, one thing I will say about Quantum Leap is they always had an end of season party and we all went bowling in wow. uh, the West Valley. And even the guy from Last Gunfighter was there. And that was probably the last time I saw that, the the guy who played the the villain, because he passed not long after that. But one of my favorite moments was bowling with Scott Bakula and, um, and Joe Napolitano and um, putting on those stupid shoes. <laughs> I have a great, great memory of that. And there are some shows that don't have that kind of camaraderie, but quantum we've had that and they made you feel like a family.
2: Awesome. That's the first time I heard that. I didn't know about the bowling. Yeah. Bowling with Scott Bakula. You just made a lot of people jealous.
0: (laughs) Oh, I do have a Polaroid. So I think that the makeup artist took a Polaroid and she, she took an extra one and I've got Mr. Cutie Bombaluti of Scott Bakula behind me. And that sat on my refrigerator for many years and people would come in and be like, Oh my gosh,
1: is that Scott Bakula? <laughs> I'm
0: like, yes, it is. Oh,
4: that's, awesome. <laughs>
1: that's
2: awesome. Well, thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome.
5: So, Chris, we got any feedback?
4: Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, we actually got a note on Facebook in reaction to our episode about a hunting we will go. I recall, Allison, that we had a great time talking about that episode. We had a lot of fun, yeah. right?
5: I think like we were all like super like dying from the heat, so we were a little bit loopy for that one, <laughs> but maybe that yeah. contributed to, to the entertainment factor. I guess so, because Facebook follower
4: Kim Priscilla wrote us, and this is all she wrote. She said, this was hands down the funniest episode. I laughed all day on the bus at my desk during my lunch. Ah, thanks, guys. So that's great to know. I mean, sometimes when we do those episodes, yeah, we're rambling all over the place and we think, is anyone going to like this? (laughs) (laughs) We're not remotely on topic, but apparently there's an audience out there for that, so.
2: I would have to agree with Kim because I love the new cast of the Quantum Leap podcast because you've taken a show that was basically uh, NPR-ish-esque and turned it into an entertaining podcast about Quantum Leap. And I literally laugh my ass off, laugh out loud when I'm walking around a grocery store listening to you guys. People just think I'm crazy because I'm laughing out loud. Great job.
5: Oh, thank you.
4: Thank you, Albie. Thank you so much. And You say it was sort of NPR-esque, but when you started the Quantum Leap podcast, you were modeling it heavily after the Mission Log podcast, the Star Trek podcast.
2: That and the Serenity Firefly podcast, uh, The Signal. Those were my two influences.
4: Okay, well, it was funny because when I was thinking about how I need to approach this episode, there's something that they always say on their show. They don't like to just bag on an episode if they don't like it because, to them... Any episode is going to be somebody's favorite episode, and any episode is going to be somebody's least favorite episode. Sure. And just because this was my least favorite episode, I really didn't know how I was going to approach it. And then—is this
5: the- your least favorite ever?
4: I don't know if it's my least favorite, but it's not a favorite. It's like you said, Alison. It's filler. But I—I mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we. I don't know that we turned people off with how much we made fun of Piano Man because I think we were having fun, but I'm sure at least one or two people were insulted and I didn't want to take that chance. And then I thought we have someone who was actually in professional wrestling, that was actually the person who also happened to start the Quantum Leap podcast. I can't believe it took me like a couple of weeks to realize, shit, <laughs> Albie should come back on the show, huh? So
2: I hadn't thought of it. I was just uh, looking forward to listening to the, your guys' episode on it.
4: Yeah, well, I'm, I, you know, once I, I sort of made that connection in my feeble brain, <laughs> I said, we can't do it any other way because I have to imagine that this is one of your favorite episodes.
2: It is one of my favorite episodes just because wrestling. Right. And seeing Scott in that world and them getting it really close. And uh, it's, it's just fun for me. And I'm not going to lie, watching Deborah Wakeham in that outfit, From the Americanization of Machico with the ice cube and, you know, I enjoy it. I'm I'm a man, so I enjoy it.
4: Well, I just want to thank you for uh, bringing that perspective to the show. For being a friend? For being a friend, yes.
2: (laughs) Travel down the road and back again, walking 10 miles in the dark, luckily
4: not wearing pearls. And talking about traveling down the road and back again, since we have you back, would you please do the honors... And tell people how they can submit their own feedback to the Quantum Leap Podcast.
2: There are many ways <laughs> you can leave feedback. You can go to com and leave feedback there. You can send us email at Podcast at com. You can leave us a voicemail. Don't worry, no one will pick up. It's a computer. At 707-847-6682. And, uh... Please, we want to hear your voice and we want to know what you think. And, of course, we're on the Instagrams, the Twitters, the uh, grinders, (laughs) the uh, what else. We're on everything now. Uh, So just uh, reach out any way you can. And, uh, oh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. There's a whole huge community, over 2,000 people that are uh, just like you, fans of Quantum Leap and love talking about it. And uh, it's a great place to – talk to other fans and let us know what you think. And that's the best part of the show is uh, just the community. I love the feedback. Yeah, I agree.
4: And if uh, anyone in that community wants to take one step further in supporting the show, you can always find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash quantum podcast. So
2: please do. Uh, there's a lot of cool things planned if we reach our goals. So uh, if you like, uh, If you like Allison, Chris, and Matt doing what they do, I can't wait to hear them doing what they do with other things uh, for those uh, patrons that
4: want to contribute. So I'm really looking forward to when that gets built up. And always remember that your response may be used on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. So where does that leave us, guys? What's next? Uh, Chris's favorite episode, I believe. Ah, oh, you let the cat out of the bag, Allison. You've been asking what's my favorite episode. I'm sure you narrowed it down to the last two of this season.
5: I didn't actually.
4: Well, I said it was season three. I said it was late oh, season. Oh, I didn't hear. Okay. Oh, okay.
5: <laughs> well, if we're gonna be if we're gonna be letting cats out of the bag, your favorite episode comes just before my favorite episode. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm. Ding, ding, back to back.
4: <laughs> and that episode is Nuclear Family. Lucy bomb in New York City. What? It's World Get down! Guys, I gotta tell you, I've been waiting years and years and years to talk about this episode. There are very specific reasons that it is my favorite, so I can't wait to discuss this one with you, Allison, and to bring Matt back and talk about it, because I got a lot to say about nuclear family.
5: Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I'm uh, looking forward to talking to you about it and hearing why it's your favorite episode.
4: Well, everybody, until then, hunker down in your bunkers and put your gas masks on. Get your Zenith Transoceanic radios hummed up and, uh, you know, listen for the warning. The next podcast will come out. And uh, until then, I have been Christopher Philippus.
2: I've been Allison Pregler. I'm Albie, and I'm fit as a fiddle.
4: And we'll see you next time, everyone. And Albie Burge back on the Quantum Leap Podcast. Oh, my God, what a (laughs) coup. Boo!
1: (laughs) 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 Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Muro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Barron Space production.
4: Jolly good, jolly good, good show, governor.